During Robert Brogdon's Olathe Buick GMC clearance event, save up to 20% on new models like the 2023 Buick Encore GX or GMC Sierra 1500. View their huge inventory at robertbrogdon.com and find your perfect match. Welcome in to Sports Radio 810 WHB. I am Sterling Holmes with you live on this frigid tundra, which is Kansas City on a Sunday morning with you until noon. Uh, was going to be with you until the Bills game, but uh, I'm going to move that one. The game that didn't get moved was the Chiefs-Dolphins game, and the Chiefs took care of business. All the Chiefs haters that said, wait till the playoffs. They'll lose first round. Those people are sick right now. Looking at you, Bengals fans. Looking at you, T. Higgins and Jamar Chase. I mean, Chiefs playoff football is different. For all the struggles that lasted all season long, for all of the issues that actually plagued the Chiefs in this game, penalties, Red zone stalling, um, not really turnovers because Clyde had the fumble late when the game was completely taken care of. You sit back and watch, they still found a way to get it done, and this is probably what it looks like the rest of the playoffs. They can win. This Chiefs team will go far. If they score 26 points, they'll win the Super Bowl. If the Chiefs score 26 points every single game, Put it in pin. They're winning the Super Bowl. This Chiefs defense is absolutely elite. I know the weather affected Tua Tagovailoa, which, uh, yeah, he looked brutal out there. I mean, that arm strength is non-existent. I almost felt bad for his wide receivers. Not their hands, of course, because it's like um, a pillow getting tossed to you. But because he had zero arm strength... The ball just floats there. The Chiefs' cornerbacks are just waiting. They're waiting for them to catch. I mean, they they laid out Jalen Waddle, laid out Tyreek Hill, laid out uh, River, uh, what's it, Craft? Uh, Craycraft. Craycraft. Mm-hmm. Uh, River Crawdad would be way better. That would be way better. But, I mean, because the ball was floating to these dudes, they were getting laid out. The Chiefs' defense, by the way, seeing them in the fourth quarter, was a sight to behold. It may have been in the negatives, but that was the most electric I've ever seen a Chiefs defense in a long time. How much fun were they having? They were dancing on the sideline. They were dancing in the middle of plays. Yeah. Like, Legereus Sneed, who was quiet, doesn't chirp hardly at all was getting in everyone's face. I mean, seriously, he was. how many balls did he, did he knock down in the final couple drives? Three? Trey McDuffie had two? Seeing those guys have the amount of fun, talent, and confidence that they had in that game makes me believe in this team that much more. 
Um, I will say, Trim McDuffie, I think, had a lovely bounce back ever since that first uh, moon ball, the hot air balloon that was thrown and caught by Tua to Tyreek. McDuffie didn't get his head turned around. Uh, bad play on Duffy. But what happened? From then on, he was nails. And even when he was locked up against Tyreek occasionally, he got the better of him. Tyreek Hill had 53 yards on that one play. He ended with 62. We'll talk a lot more. Daniel Harms will be joining us at 9.15. Matt Derrick joins us at 11. Um, Again, I do want to give a huge shout-out to the fans, the workers. I mean, seriously, everyone who was working at Arrowhead. um, People outside getting, getting you to your spots and everything. I mean, that is brutal. Um, even the Southern reporters, I mean, it was hilarious watching them. They're, they're bundled up like it's, uh, Antarctica down there, but it, it really was, it was frigid out there. I can't imagine being there and I can't imagine the shirtless dudes that were getting shown on TV. How do you think they feel this morning? Probably not good. <laughs> One was a Dolphins fan, which I couldn't believe. Yeah, I felt bad for that guy. They, they were they zoomed to him or panned to him, and it was twenty six seven late in the fourth quarter, and he's shirtless. I go, oh man, that is not going to be a fun flight home the next day. You think he was shirtless the whole game? No. Or do you think he was in and out of a shirt? I think in and out. I, if you were shirtless the whole game, you would not be alive. Yeah, I don't think so either. I mean, did you see what the cold was doing to the beers? Yeah, <laughs> they were freezing. You had you a beer sickle. Yeah, there were some bush lights and some Mick Ultras out there. What do you think that does to your body? Well, like, <laughs> like that's a beer. Now, what do you, you're shirtless. What do you think is going on with you? Can't be good. But you can check that off your bingo card. There's just so many different aspects of this game to take. Um, I might start with my unsung hero of the game. My unsung hero of the game was Donovan Smith. Donovan Smith, who had not played for multiple weeks now. You know, if Wanye Morris was was healthy and not out with concussion, I, I think we'd have a whole different conversation. Wanye Morris may have been the starter. I mean, he, he'd been playing decent football up and down, obviously, for a rookie, but he would have been healthier, and he was the almost incumbent at this point. Donovan Smith, coming back from a neck injury, all of the injuries at, at all the tackle spots, right? So his performance was paramount in this game. What did he do? Dog. Donovan Smith stepped up. Donovan Smith was... played his best game of the season? I mean, seriously, Do- Donovan Smith, I I cannot say enough superlatives about because that was a tough situation to be thrown in. Haven't played in weeks. You're playing in this game. I get the Miami Dolphins pass rush is not great. I mean, they were playing guys who they signed off the street two weeks ago. The point still stands. He got it done. I'm not going to knock a guy for succeeding against lesser competition. Right. He did his job. Yeah, Mahomes had all day. File his taxes back there. I mean, even with the horrendous penalties on Juwan Taylor, okay, now, you can see the block in the, block, block in the back. He got hit first. He still was square in the numbers. Um, the false start, 
I know some people are saying, well, maybe Creed moved a little bit, or Creed was going to move the ball. No one else, everyone else was on the same page except for him. Look at the ball. Look at this, like, Juwan Taylor consistently has these negative penalties, these negative plays. And, again, the Chiefs still put up 26. Could have been a lot more if not for those penalties. Yeah, agreed. Uh, on the broadcast last night, they mentioned 17 penalties in the regular season. The most penalized offensive lineman. 20 mil per year. Yeah. But we're going to keep it positive here because the Chiefs are moving on. So what I found interesting was as, as bad as the penalties were, he, he was pretty darn good, though, when it came to pass protection as well, right? I don't have a lot of issues with what he actually was doing when the play got going and when he was not doing something he should not have been doing. Offensive line, again, in this game, outstanding, man. I mean, again, Mahomes had so much time. So much time to find guys like Travis Kelsey, Rishi Rice, MVS got, what, two for two. Um, Watson had a huge catch. I mean, that, that, is it a toe tap or a knee tap? It was both. One toe, one knee? Knee tap and a toe drag. <laughs> Um, Noah Gray had a big one for 20. That play only happens when you have a lot of protection back there. Um, I, I was just very impressed with the offensive line, which brings us to Patrick Mahomes. Was that his greatest game of the year? Was that his best game of the year? I understand you look at the numbers, 23 of 41, 262, one touchdown, no interceptions. Oh, by the way, or uh, one touch, a no, yeah, no picks, no interceptions at all, and no sacks. That was big. Um, but he also ran for 41 on only two carries. They were big runs. You might say the Chicago game, right, early in the season. Yeah. But best game, this was the most dialed in I had seen Mahomes all season long. Yeah, the box score won't support that, but, man, the throws, they were just on target. Nobody seemed off page with Patrick Mahomes. Even the deep balls, and I'm sure we'll get into that later with McCole Hardman. Yeah. But he was running that offense. <laughs> it was a well-oiled machine, even in the cold, even in the harsh conditions. But, yeah, nothing seemed out of sync, I guess, is the right term. How many poor decisions did he make in that game? Because I, I don't think I can think of one. No. Uh, maybe the intentional grounding. But sure, I, and I saw what he was doing. But, yeah, the intentional grounding, I would say, yeah. But even that was a case of, I'm going to make sure this does not get put in harm's way. Right, right. You're right. He, his ability to run the offense last night was, again, in my opinion, the best we have seen from him all season long. And it came in the biggest stage, biggest moment of all season as well. Again, him running the football, you knew it was going to happen at some point. But those two rushes were massive. And him not sliding, and the helmet just exploding. Put that helmet in the Louvre. I mean, seriously, <laughs> put that in Canton. Oh, that was. Do Do you think that uh, the helmet company is pretty pretty stoked about that, or you think they're bummed? <laughs> like, shoot, maybe we should have tested this in negative weather. But also because it broke, it probably helped Mahomes because it, it it took on the impact, right? So it didn't reverberate throughout his dome. Maybe that it blew up like that is actually a uh, a good thing. Yeah, even on the second and third helmet he had to wear in that game, nothing seemed to throw him out of order. You know. Yeah, 
He was not happy he had to put on a new helmet. He wanted to leave that thing on. He was struggling with the chin strap. He wa- They were talking about trying to get the, the face mask changed over, which, by the way, poor, who, poor uh, whoever has to change that over in the cold. Yeah. Dealing with some screwdrivers. Yeah. <laughs> you know how cold and just locked those things are going to be? You're sitting there trying to get yeah. it, not yeah, going those, anywhere. Those are small screws. Like, you're wearing gloves, these fluffy gloves. Oh, you, you got to take them precise. off. And yeah. you know they're just frozen shut. They've been getting water squirted all day, so you know there's some water that's just frozen on there. Trying to change a face mask would probably be the worst thing for a uh, a, uh, a team team dude to have to do. The equipment guy. The equipment guy. That that would be a, a worst case scenario. But again, man, his ability of finding Rasheed Rice, who obviously we'll talk about later on, uh, his ability to find Travis Kelsey. To trust MVS, to trust McColl in the deep ball, even though it was not working, just the trust factor. Those were the right throws every single time. And they were great throws, even in that wind, right? That was even more impressive. You saw what Tua was doing. And look what Mahomes was doing. Completely different. And it's not like Mahomes, I, I get it. He plays for the Chiefs. From Texas, went to Texas Tech. It's not like he grew up in Minnesota. And when you get to this weather, this is different for everyone. He was mentally tough. He was physically tough. And again, I think this was Mahomes' best game of the season. We'll take a break. Come back. We'll be joined by Daniel Harms, film analyst of RGR Football. Sports Radio 810 WHB. Welcome again to Sports Radio 810 WHB. Uh, Sterling Holmes joined now by Daniel Harms, film analyst of RGR Football. Harms, how are you? I'm enjoying a nice, stress-free Sunday. How are you guys doing? It's beautiful, man. I mean, seriously, what a great point. The Chiefs win, and you just sit back and relax and watch everyone else fight and claw their way to moving on. Like, it makes it even better that the Bills have not played, and they won't play today. They're waiting until Monday. The anticipation for them has to be so great. They're like, all right, Chiefs did their job. Now it's time for ours, and you have to wait and wait and then wait some more. Yeah, that's uh, unfortunate for the, uh, you know, the Bills having to move it, but I fully understand the, the danger surrounding the, the travel yesterday. We saw, we've all seen the videos of the snow. You couldn't see two, like two feet in front of you. So it's uh, part of, I guess, now New York culture. Second time they've moved a, a, a game in the last couple of years. So I guess that's just what it is. I mean, doesn't everyone up there have like a snowmobile? Can't they just <laughs> ski to the game? I mean, come on. I mean, it'd be, it'd be nice, right, to be able to ski to a football game. But, uh, now, I, again, I don't want to joke about the safety of, of the fans, and that's really what this comes down to. So I'm glad the game will be played safely for them. Uh, Harms, I, we, we, before we went into break and brought you on, I was asking, was this the best game Mahomes has played all season long? I know the box score won't tell the full picture here, but his just control of the offense I thought was – um, it was perfection, man. He made all of the right decisions every single time. Um, obviously, some drops still happen in this game, which uh, not just from this season, but of course, you add the cold into the equation, I think was to be expected. 
in your mind, was this Mahomes' best game of the season, and how impressive was he? I think when we factor in the cold coming you know, off of a, essentially a bye for him, he had rest, and the entire season of frustration, yes, I think that this was the best game that he's played because you have to be able to control that environment. You have to, again, make sure that you're getting all the right calls. Obviously, the Miami Dolphins' defense was hurt. Let's not forget they're missing three starting at least defensive linemen. They had a couple other injuries in the second level and the third level, and missing Xavier Howard and a couple of their linebackers, too. So it's not like they were facing the full might of the Miami Dolphins' defense, but he was in full control. Even if those players were there, maybe there's a split second where you get some of the pressure a little bit earlier, but Mahomes saw every blitz. He identified exactly where they were coming. We all heard on the broadcast of him calling out exactly who was going to be blitzing, and they came every single time. He knows Vic Fangio's defense in and out. Obviously played against him in in, um, Denver for all those years, so he really understood the situation that they would have to blitz to get pressure because they couldn't get it with four with their front four having, you know, Justin Houston being signed off, Bruce Irving, Melvin Ingram, and then Emmanuel Ogba playing more snaps that they had to bring a little bit more pressure to get to him. So when you factor all those things in with the cold, some low snaps from Creed Humphrey, which are becoming a problem. No, as a Mizzou fan, those seem perfectly fine. (laughs) Oh, yeah, they do. It was uh, (laughs) – so, uh, yeah, I think that this was uh, a really come to playoff moment for everybody. We realize now – that Patrick Mahomes really can elevate his level of play in the postseason. And when everything that happened this season happened the way that it did, I think that we can take a little bit of solace in knowing that for the Chiefs, it might not always be the one seed, and that's okay because Patrick Mahomes has this innate ability to flip the switch like the best that have ever done it. You know, we talk about comparing him and the Chiefs to – the Golden State Warriors, and that holds true in a lot of different ways, especially because whenever the things aren't going right in the season for the Warriors, whenever they do end up making the postseason, they have a switch that they flip, and it turns into a completely different team. And right now, Patrick's doing the exact same thing. And I thought the execution levels outside of some penalties here and there were really, really good. Red zone will be a little bit of a different issue going forward. They've had their own problems over the past month plus of trying to figure out how to do to deal with that. I do think the, that the weather created an added wrinkle in the red zone, which made it more difficult for them to really get going, especially on that right end zone where they did not want to throw the ball in the back of it, where Rishi Rice is actually really, really good at finding his footing there. They, they didn't really throw it, throw it in the back there, but I, I, I definitely agree that this is Patrick Mahomes' best performance, and it came when – a lot of people were writing off the Chiefs, and I, yeah. I, see, I saw so many people predicting that the uh, Miami Dolphins were going to win this football game, and it was never in question. They dominated that game and largely due to what Mahomes was able to perform in this game. Daniel Horms, film analyst for RGR Football, is our guest. Uh, I know you and I love talking about the offensive line, and you brought it up briefly there with, with Creed Humphrey, um, yeah. and I assume you, you touched on a little bit with the penalties. But overall, I think the offensive line did did a great job. I said my, my, my unsung hero in this game was Donovan Smith. Overall, mm-hmm. what did you think about the offensive line? Again, giving up zero sacks. I know it was against a banged-up Miami Dolphins defense, but again, these are professional athletes. I thought they were just incredible in this game. 
their ability to own the line of scrimmage really on both sides, and I'm sure we'll get to it. Um, but it was it was apparent, and this was a game where we heard a lot of talk about you know cold is the mentality, it's in the mind, right? This was a showcase for the Chiefs' offensive line, saying, yeah, it is, it's 100 percent in your mind. But also, I, I saw some some tweets from coaches before the game and talking about how you know pass protection is actually a little bit easier than run blocking in cold like this. It's easier for your footing. You're not having to drive those feet forward and you can slip on, on hard surfaces and things like that. So while Isaiah Pacheco got 24 you know, touches in this football game, which is a whole other thing, they were really able to be comfortable in the passing game. And, you know, we heard Andy Reid talk after the game about how you know, maybe Miami didn't expect them to come out and throw the football as much as they did, but Patrick Mahomes was unfazed by the wind, the cold, and, and the offensive line stepped up to a level of play that collectively, even with some of their high levels and high points this season, I think was a a real testament to their resiliency. Now, obviously there were some penalties, like we talked about earlier with uh, Juwan Taylor. Uh, The block in the the back, he got pushed, whatever. It is what it is. I think most of these penalties came out in the wash for the most part. Obviously you get a, uh, a touchdown taken off the board, but then they were also given... The, I mean, not given, but the, uh, the roughing the passer penalty got them into scoring range there as well. So you have a little bit of give and take with a touchdown being taken away earlier and then them getting in close range to be able to do that again. So for the large portion of this game, I do think the penalties or the non-calls came out in the wash, but they were able to establish themselves in the trenches for this offensive line, and especially with the run game, it wasn't hugely successful after the second half or in the second half, but they were still able to create chunk plays. And, and that's a huge advantage for Patrick Mahomes, especially when he's playing the way that he was playing yesterday. You have that, okay, we can hand the ball off, we can get five, we can maybe get ten sometimes. Isaiah Pacheco, Clyde Ebertolera running really, really hard and giving it their all, and I love seeing the effort. And then those times where they would get – a little bit going in the offensive line and tight ends will come in and continuously push them, that team effort, that understanding that we can physically outmatch this Miami Dolphins defense. From the moment the game started, I really felt like they knew that they could do that on, on the offensive line specifically. So I was really impressed with their performance and thought that they held together extremely well. They have a lot more work to do still, but this was a really good starting point. Uh, Daniel Harms is our guest. Since you mentioned the trenches, and we're kind of sticking here, let's just flip sides and talk about the defensive line. Carl Loftus was uh, a menace in this game. Him and Charles Aminahu, where again, if you look at Charles Aminahu, you look at the uh, the box score, you're going to sit here and be like, well, he must not have had a very good game, only one tackle. Uh, I thought Charles Aminahu was just as much of a game wrecker as almost anyone else in this game. Uh, whether it was just getting his hands up, getting pressure on Tua. Uh, actually, I thought he was very good in the run game as well, just setting the edge. Mm-hmm. What did you see from the defensive line as a whole for Kansas City? Once again, being able to physically outmatch the Miami Dolphins' offensive line. And with the injuries that they've sustained throughout the season, that should have been where they succeeded as well. But even at full strength, this Miami Dolphins' offense wasn't anything to write home, uh, offensive line wasn't anything to write home about. And the Chiefs could physically outmatch them. And when you bring in Charles Amenehu and Mike Dana and Malik Herring, also a guy, really physical, powerful guys, you take it to an offensive line, and we talked, we've talked about this 
being able to stop the Miami Dolphins' running attack was the key to this football game because we watched Tua try to throw the football in that weather. He had the underthrow to Tyree Hill that turned into a touchdown, but other than that, there wasn't much that he could do with his arm strength, with all of the ability that he's got to really throw with anticipation. The Chiefs threw all of that off. So if you can stop their run game, stop it from being explosive, you really put them in a bind. And Charles Menekew, like you said, didn't have a ton of tackles. But what he was doing was he was redirecting running backs. And when you're in the backfield, when you are setting the edge and you're forcing those running backs to have to choose to come at you or to go somewhere else, it causes hesitation for your linebackers and other defensive players to get downhill and make those tackles. So while, again, he wasn't on the box score, he was directly impacting, impacting the Miami Dolphins' ability to run the football. And when you continuously do that, you know, down in and down out, you're dominating the football game. And like I said, my, the Miami Dolphins offensive line was outmatched. You know, they did what they could against Chris Jones. He was still able to get pressure. And GK has really blossomed into one of the, the, the more output potentials that he could when he was drafted. I think what we're seeing right now is the player that he likely will be for most of his career, a guy who's really good in the run game, who's going to give you high-level energy effort. And then right now he's using his hands in pass rush really well and that power he's generating a little bit more speed to power pushing tackles into the backfield but then he's disengaging that's what he did on his first sack he was able to push the right tackle into the backfield and then disengage and get the sack and close for the sack the second one obviously the the half second one i think it would probably count as a half with chris jones maybe not i'm not entirely sure but he got you know free release because of empty protections And, and for those of you that don't know empty protections are You have five offensive linemen, and they have to choose who to block. When you bring interior pressure like the Chiefs did on that blitz, it forces them to take the inside most pass to the quarterback because it's the quickest. So, you know, they 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 left George Kalafis unblocked. He comes down and and makes the play there with Chris Jones. So realizing the potential of him combined with Charles Amenehue, who has become honestly one of the most steadfast and consistent players on this defensive line over the past month plus has really turned a good defensive line into a physically dominant defensive line in the postseason, and that's a huge plus for them. Yeah, and again, hat tip to Spags. I, th- I think there's a player you're talking yeah. about as well. I mean, they confused the heck out of Teron Armstead, a five-time Pro Bowl tackle. Five-time Pro Bowler was just getting lost out there because Spags was was sending so much confusion, so much pressure from different spots. I mean, Armstead had no idea who to pick up. And so at one point, he just didn't pick up anyone. He was just sitting there <laughs> as two guys. I'm like, I'm like, wow, you don't do that very often to a guy like the caliber of Teron Armstead. How much credit do you give Steve Spagnolo and his game plan in this one? All of it. <laughs> He has been, we, we say it, he's been in his bag all year, and it feels like his bag. If you guys have seen or read Harry Potter, you know, Hermione's got this bag that just, you can put everything in, and it feels like it just continues to go, and you can fill it to the brim, and you keep putting stuff in. And Spagnolo's bag is that deep. He just keeps reaching in the bottom and pulling out more stuff. He's, what he has for the postseason has always been top-tier level, and he was bringing out more Earlier in the season this year, he's got players that have been in the system for a long time. They're young, they're fast, they're athletic, and they get this defense. And when you have that, you're able to just 
be free and be exactly who he wants to be. The the interception was they rotated from single high to two high to single high and then back to two high, all pre and post snap. Like three different times they rotated their safeties. And when you do that, you're just confusing Tua in the back. And that's why he was like just throwing it down there because he assumed something that wasn't actually there. And that's going to be a huge it's, – it's been a huge point for this defense, the entirety that Steve Spagnuolo has been their defensive coordinator. Their, their defense has always played better in the postseason, and we've seen an elite defense in the regular season. And this iteration of Steve Spagnuolo's defense is going to be the best postseason performance I think we've ever seen, and that's why we, I'm going to give so much credit to him. But also, let's not lose, lose sight of the fact that the players have to be able to, one, accept that challenge and get better every single year. In the last two years, these young players that drafted last year, some of the young players drafted this year, have stepped into predominant roles and have not blinked. It's been incredibly impressive to watch. Obviously, Drew Tranquil, as a free agent coming in, has played key snaps. Nick Bolton yesterday had a fantastic game with a club on his hand. Like everybody from every single level, I think you can point to and say, they played great, and they played great, or they played great. And that's the sign of a team that has 100% bought into what the defensive coordinator is selling, and that's why Spagnolo has been so fantastic this year. Well, let's talk about one of those dudes that played great. That was Legereus Sneed. Sneed was everywhere. Uh, you, you think he maybe got a little uh, something to prove from the not just Pro Bowl but All-Pro snub? Because on national television, or should I say Peacock streaming services, uh, he was just locked down. He was bullying Tyreek Hill. One of my favorite lines ever was from Zach Randolph, if you guys remember him in the NBA, where it was on a free throw, and some guy who was, I, I forget, maybe I'm Boogie Cousins. Remember how DeMarcus Cousins used to try yeah. and bully dudes in the NBA? Well, Zach Randolph was having none of it, and he goes, where I'm from, bullies get bullied. And so Zebo was trying to punk DeMarcus, uh, DeMarcus Cousins, so I'm sitting here going, that is what Legereus Sneed just did to Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill has been with a guy punking every single cornerback, punking every single defensive player, and Legereus Sneed said, no, 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 you ain't punking me, I'm going to punk you. And that one play at the line of scrimmage where he just did not let him get up, I, I was losing it, man. That was just so fun to watch. What more can you say about what Jerry Seen has done this year? It, he doesn't, again, he doesn't care about the, the Pro Bowl or the All-Pro snub in the fact that he's not letting it affect his play. He goes out there, he plays, and he, you know, his ability just to say, yeah, you guys, uh, cool, all right, that's awesome. I'm glad, I'm glad, you know, obviously Trent McDuffie got All-Pro, and yeah, it, it sucks. I guess i got to show everyone that I'm still, I'm this guy. Like, he's been doing it all season. Look at the list of number one that he's just shut down. He did the exact same thing to, uh, yesterday to Tyreek that he did to Justin Jefferson where he's just physical. He, he times his jams perfectly. When he takes that advantage and when he takes it to the wide receivers, they don't know what's coming because he times it so well. And Tyreek is the best wide receiver getting off the line in the NFL, regardless of whether he's moving, whether he's not moving, he's the best at doing it. And when you can time up a jam that is so devastating that it knocks him to the ground on a third and 13 you know he's an elite press man cover corner that is something that you you can't really can't really teach that timing it's an eight it's an eight it's reading what the wide receiver is doing in in those micro movements and being able to see when the because he's not he's not looking at the ball he's not looking at the ball when it snaps he's going based off of the micro movements of the wide receiver before the ball is snapped so he times it perfectly 
And when he's able to just sit back, play off, play up man, and play press, and just continuously throw different things at a, at a wide receiver, it throws their entire game off. And Tyreek, outside of the big play, um, and the play right, right before he made that touchdown, was ineffective all game. It was incredible to watch. And the most underrated part of this entire secondary is the willingness to come downhill and tackle. Legereus Sneed and Trent McDuffie yesterday were so nails coming downhill and rocking people and tackling, and they have been for their entire careers. So I, I, there's not much else I could say about what Legereus Sneed has done this, this year, much less what he did yesterday in the postseason. It continues to impress, and it continues to get overlooked by the national media. I think that ends after this playoff run. Just, just another name you brought up, and you brought up Trent McDuffie. Just very quickly, I thought his bounce back, the ability to Ooh. he he didn't track the ball, uh, he he got a penalty. You know, Tyreek ended up scoring the only touchdown for the Dolphins on that play, but that was it. He bounced back. He didn't dwell on it. It was like a closer in baseball. Got to have a short memory. I mean, because the other couple times he went up against Tyreek, he locked him up. I mean, I, I thought McDuffie's ability to not let that one play define this game for him, uh, it, it was huge for a young player like himself. That's been the mentality of this defense, and, and it's why they're so good. They don't let the play ruin what they're doing. They don't. They say, okay, it happened, it's over, and they move on. Like, that's that's how you be successful. Like that's the only way you can be successful in professional sports. Bad things are going to happen. You can't be perfect every single rep. It's not possible. But when the bad things happen or when the things you don't want to happen do, you have to find a way to just put it away. And it's a, it's a whole different game. Like that's the, the, one of the more impressive things that we've seen from this defense. They, like you said, they don't dwell on mistakes. They just continue to attack. And that, got, that starts from coaching. It's the mentality that these players have already, but it comes out in the coaching. Don't, not letting that stuff impact how they play in practice, and that's how you play. So what Trent McDuffie did, like you said yesterday, bouncing back after that, 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 that touchdown, which wouldn't have happened if the ball was underthrown. Like, let's be real, but he, he couldn't track it. He was too busy trying to keep up with the fastest man on, in the NFL, which I understand. I give him a break there. And the underthrown football, the only thing that I'll say is that if you're going to commit P.I., man, take him down. Just tackle him. <laughs> yeah. Don't even let him get free. Uh, obviously, in the moment, in the cold, I'm going to give everybody a pass and look at me sitting in my office telling an NFL player make sure to tackle a guy like Terry. Hey, Hill. hey, hey, yeah. Harms, it's only 67 <laughs> in the studio right now. I'm a little chilly in here, okay? Um, I don't know, man. Probably should have made the tackle. <laughs> but, uh, here we are, right? Like, just, just, just get the job done. And, again, he did. He got the job done. Later in the game after that, everybody's assignment base, it, it's fantastic. They understand this defense so well. I just, it, it makes, when we, we, when we've watched Patrick Mahomes and the offense be so dialed in for such a long period of time, and then the flip, the switch kind of flips a little bit this year where the defense has been dialed in basically all season. And we see in the postseason, they have even another level to get to in that devastatingly cold, windy atmosphere. That gives me like, a jolt of energy as a fan and a person who watches football. It's a great feeling. Daniel Harms is our guest, film analyst for RGR Football. 
I said this earlier, and I would love to get your thoughts on this. I think if the Chiefs score 26 points the rest of the uh, the playoffs, I think they win the Super Bowl. Uh, I think 26 is the number. I think hell, if they win, if they score 23, I think you're probably thinking they're they're probably going to win this game. I don't care who it is, San Fran, the Ravens, the Texans, the Bills. This Chiefs defense is that good. Uh, Harrison Butker, by the way, I, I trust wholeheartedly. Uh, he, he's been again uh, absolutely nails. But but what are your thoughts on that? You know. We keep talking about the the back breaking penalties and the drops and the red zone struggles, but part of me thinks, okay, but this is who this team is. If they all of a sudden didn't drop a ball, if they all of a sudden were perfection in the red zone, that would be the outlier for a game. And as much as we want to see perfection, I think what we're seeing from the Chiefs, again, the microcosm of this game, of course in my opinion, is good enough to win against any single team in the NFL. No, it is. And that's, I don't disagree at all. The We've seen, again, their issues kind of come up in the red zone, penalties as well. They were able to overcome some of the penalties earlier in the game based off of great play calls and understanding of the blitzes that Patrick was seeing, that Vic Fangio was throwing. I don't think you're going to see a ton of blitzes going further because of what just happened in negative 30-degree field. So I think you're going to probably see a little bit of a different defensive mind. But at the same time, I want to give a a quick shout-out to James Winchester, Tommy Townsend, and and Harrison Bucker. Those three guys were incredible yesterday. We've we've seen how the wind and the cold can impact snaps, not just regular snaps, but long snaps have to be even more difficult. And we didn't see – any of those go awry. We didn't see any of the holds from Tommy Townsend go awry. And Harrison Bucker was fantastic all night long. So that's a huge that's a huge boost for a team in that weather. So hats off to them. And to your point, I, 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 full, I wholeheartedly agree. It, you can't win a game if you're – you can win a game, obviously. The Chiefs have done it this season where you score less than 20. But with this defense, you give them a bit of breathing room and when you force teams to be predictable and have to throw the football, that's exactly what they want. They don't necessarily want to see a team be in a close game and continuously run the football that's really good at running the football um, and have to deal with that on a, on a count to, uh, down-to-down basis. But if you can get out to a little bit of an early lead, if you can early in the game stop those runs and force teams to pass, it plays right into what the defense wants to do. But even right now, I think physically – they're going to play the run better in the postseason than they did in the regular season. And that's just going to make them even more confident. This performance, again, against one of the better rush teams in the NFL and what they do is going to continue to give them confidence. So what we're seeing from this defense in Kansas City should not be ignored. It's one of the best defenses in football. And we also just watched, quote-unquote, one of the best defenses in football yesterday in the Cleveland Browns get annihilated by C.J. Stroud. So, Things can happen, but I think how well the Chiefs understand their defense, how assignment sound they are, and the way they, they change things up behind the second level and into the third level is what gives them an edge over just about any defense outside of maybe the Ravens defense in the NFL. Just because you brought the Texans, uh, C.J. Stroud has been <laughs> unreal all season long, uh, which, by the way, my C.J. Stroud was a slam dunk to go first overall. Uh, that that takes looking pretty good right about now, as well as my Texans are going to be the surprise team of the NFL this season. I, I, occasionally I get things right. 
Uh, you you got to pump your chest when you finally get something right, since I get stuff wrong all the time in this business. But t- take away the um, t- t- take away the home versus away for a second. Who would you rather play as a Chiefs guy? Would you rather play the Bills or the Texans? So, I mean, if, I, if I'm talking about wanting to beat the best, I think that the Texans are still a year away. Okay. Um, I would love to prove, as one, as, as a person who watches the Chiefs that have had home field advantage the last five years, a lot of people question if they can go on the road in the postseason to win. I, I personally don't question that at all but they haven't really had to do it. So I would love to see the Chiefs go into Buffalo and beat Buffalo in their home stadium just to tell everybody, look, we understand that we've had home field, they've had home field advantage pretty much since Patrick was the starting quarterback for Kansas City. That doesn't change who they are. Wait, 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 wait. and really quickly, Harms, very, very quickly, just I'm going to insert something here. Everyone always uses it as a knock against him, and I'm sitting here going, how is that a knock, the fact that they win so much with him during the regular season? They earn home field advantage. People are acting like they just give it to Kansas City because uh, just because it's the Chiefs. It's like, you have to earn home field advantage. I never understand how that's a knock against him. It blows my mind. It's because everything around him is so good all the time. They have to find different ways to take away from what he's done. So they say, well, he's never had to go on the, on the road in the postseason. Well, you want to know why? Because they win, the, they win damn football games. It's what they do. They earn those one seeds. But, again, this is a different, it's a different year. People, I mean, we've all questioned what the Chiefs could do this year. But let's be realistic. This is not what we've seen from the Chiefs over the past five years. But this defense is different than it's ever been. And it, defense travels. We know defense travels. It doesn't matter where you play. Honestly, I think in a hostile environment, defense plays even better because they're out to prove to the fans that you're not going to impact what we do. Well, unless defense. you're Cleveland, Harms, unless you're the yeah, Browns. I'm talking about this defense. I'm talking about this defense. <laughs> said no, not Jim Schwartz. We've seen Jim Schwartz defenses, and regular season's fantastic for him, but uh, uh, it doesn't work out in the postseason so much. And, uh, Weather. I mean, weather's different. It's not going to be the, the same. And I think that this game, opening their postseason stretch with a game like this, sets them up perfectly because it's not going to get much worse element-wise in terms of the cold they're having to face going forward. So I think it, it, it helps them, if anything. Yeah. Uh, I said that. I said if it's actually a bad weather game and the Chiefs are going to be in Buffalo, I said that actually helps the Chiefs. I, I know the Bills always try and, and say, like, the, oh, we, we're, we love the elements. Josh Allen doesn't. I mean, he's played some good games in the cold, but he's a warm-weather kind of quarterback. I get it. He played yeah. at Wyoming. He, he, uh, he's played in the cold. It's not like Tua, right? But if you're telling me right now who is the better cold-weather, bad-weather quarterback, Mahomes or Josh Allen, it's Mahomes, and it's not even close. You know, I, I, I've been on record. I, I think the Bills, if they want to actually um, have the best chance to win with Josh Allen in this time frame, they're building a new stadium, I said, get a roof. Get a roof. Get, get, a, get a dome. Josh Allen plays better than like like your 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 entire premise of your team is throwing the ball and using him. Why not make it better for him? Yet they don't listen. They're gonna not have a roof most likely, and uh, it's gonna hurt them because again, I think Mahomes is a much better bad weather quarterback than Josh Allen. I do think bad weather again helps the Chiefs. Uh, Rasheed Rice. Uh, let's end with Rasheed Rice. Harms. Yeah. I mean, my goodness, eight receptions. 
130 yards, one touchdown. Uh, he didn't have any issues catching the ball in that weather. He was Patrick-friendly. When the play broke down, he got open. And another thing I noticed that was really uh, made, made me enthused here, when a lot of pressure would come, very, the, the few times it happened, where would he go? It wasn't Travis Kelsey. Mahomes looked and threw the ball to Rasheed Rice and trusted Rasheed Rice to understand that he would be in the right spot. That, to me, is a massive development in the Rice-Mahomes connection. It's that trust. We, we've harped, harped on it the last couple of years, and it's proven true. He didn't have anybody that he could really trust outside Travis Kelsey, and Rasheed Rice has been the savior there because no one else stood up. Uh, let's be honest. No one else stood up and took that. That, 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 that helm. And Rasheed Rice said, fine, I'm going to do it. You guys want to get the ball in my hands anyway? I'm going to start learning more. I'm going to start developing. And stopping and sitting in zone tonight, he was fantastic. He saw, you know, I'm behind this linebacker a little bit. Mahomes has time. I'm going to shift to my left and just be wide open in this gigantic space. I'm on a drag route or I'm on a level concept where he's just cutting across the middle of the field. I love seeing them get him on over the middle routes because again he's so good with the ball in his hands and he turned he's basically what Sammy Watkins was initially for this team like yeah. he is a very much that kind of player you he can win vertically where with routes we've seen that a little bit but he is devastating over the middle of the field you get the ball in his hands and he'll just take it for a first down plus I'm glad I'm hopeful that he only kind of hurt himself a little bit because the, the ground was so hard over there I'm hoping nothing else happens out of that but what he's done to, and drops were always going to happen in this game. Like you said, the fact that he didn't drop anything when that ball was probably harder than he has ever felt in his entire life, especially playing at SMU for most of his all of his collegiate career, like that, that had to be in like almost a culture shock kind of thing with that football the way that it was, and not dropping any of them and catching it with your hands every single time. It was an incredibly impressive performance, and that's only going to continue to build the trust between Patrick and Rasheed Rice. Last year, we saw him, Travis Kelsey, or Patrick, Travis Kelsey, and Juju Schuster have that trust. They won the Super Bowl based on that trust in a running game. I'm not trying to say that's what this is going to be, but when you have somebody else that you can trust to be in the spot that they're supposed to be in, it opens everything else up. There were deep shots yesterday they didn't come down but they were there okay i'm just saying there this is starting to look a little bit more like the chiefs offense that we expected last year that we got last year with some of the deep shots being there at least and you still have travis and rasheed rice now to make a defense pay if they give travis too much attention or if they give rasheed too much attention you got to pick and choose now a little bit and it's given the chiefs something that they can actually build on uh, okay, last question before I let you go. Um, it, it's very quick, Harms. Don't worry. It'll, it'll take 10 seconds, if that. Um, so you saw the, the, the shirtless dudes at the game last night, right? You, you, you saw that on TV? Yeah. Um, how much would you have to get paid to pop the top off, tarps off at a game in that weather? Because I, I honestly don't know if you could pay me enough money for that to happen. Uh, yeah, I'm not entirely sure if there is enough money. But, I, I mean, we're... I don't know, man. That's insane stuff to do. Um, the, the players, for the most part, aren't even doing that. <laughs> like, they're not doing that. So um, I, I don't have a number off the top of my head because it's 
It's in- incredibly ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> in harm's way, 19 is where you can find Daniel on Twitter. Send your number. How much money it would cost? Send that to harm's. Uh, I want to know. I want to know people's number of how much it would cost them to, to, to pop the tarp off at a Chiefs game in that weather. Again, make sure you follow Harms on Twitter. Uh, film analyst for RGR Football. Just outstanding stuff, as always. Harms, always appreciate it. Always, man. Thank you for having me. Uh, we will take a break. Come back. Sports Radio 810 WHB. Welcome back to Sports Radio 810 WHB. Sterling Holmes with you. Kyle behind the glass. What's your number? What's your number of how much you'd have to get paid, uh, again, tarps off at a game? Right, let me ask this. How long do you need me out there? That's a good question. It was just for a second. You're talking uh, like a quarter? Oh, man. A quarter, you're... you're uh, you're getting frostbite in a quarter. I, I want think. ten grand a half. That's it for frostbite. Oh, that's a good point. Dog, you're paying more more than that at the hospital. Oh, that's a great point, dude. Right. I will give you five dollars right now. I did not know you were you were struggling like that, Kyle. That that right there was disheartening. I feel like I'm a tough guy. I feel like I could last. Ah, that's not true, dude. Not I walked true. outside today from my house to my car. Long Johns, little uh, these like Levi, they're like Carhartt material jeans. Uh-huh. They're they're nice. They're, they're thick. Um, those long sleeve undershirts, and then a sweater, and then a pea coat. My ass is still freezing. Like those people are psychos. They they obviously had to have a lot of a uh, adult beverages in them. The peppermint yeah, yeah, yeah. schnapps must have been flowing. Mm-hmm. Dude, I I don't know that number. But I'll put it this way. It's a number that no one would offer me. That's true. That's a good point. That's how I know. Got to be six figures at least. You think Casey Wolf was the only dude who was happy? (laughs) Like, Casey Wolf was just probably thrilled. Casey Wolf's sitting there like, finally, I'm not sweating over here. That's a good point. He's he's got that. The built-in uh, winter suit there. Yeah, he, he's that thing is thick. Yeah, you're perpetually sweating in one of those bad boys. As a man who was the uh, Casey Mavericks mascot for uh, one day in the summertime when we were shooting a, a video, I was an intern there in uh, in college. The mascot guy didn't show up that day, so I had to do it, and I was it ended up being the uh, like the film for like all of their their promo stuff. Whenever Calvin Harris's song "Summer" was popular, that that's the year it was. Uh, that's hot, dude. I mean, it's hot in that thing. So I bet Casey Wolf was just sitting there, thrilled, finally, not yeah. sweating. No, you may be right. You may be in, may have been the only guy comfortable there. I mean, we saw people. Oh, I'm getting a phone call. We saw people there in in ski masks and goggles. I mean, that's wild. I'll let you answer that. We'll see if anyone wants to. Yeah, if you guys want to call in, we, we can do some uh, some callers in the 10 o'clock hour. Matt Derrick will join us at 11. If you guys want to call in, 913-3810-810. We will take your calls in the 10 o'clock hour. Uh, but again, man, Chiefs playoff football is just different. I do think they're built not just for um, 
warm weather, not just for the cold. They can play in snow. They can play anywhere. And that makes this team a very, very dangerous out, even with some of the uh, struggles that continued in this game, the lack of a connection on the deep ball, which um, we'll talk about McCall Harmon. I mean, after his electric Week 18 game, pedestrian, to put it mildly, uh, playoff game, I would like to see a little more, uh, a little more effort. Is what it feels like on those deep balls. It's not just a, a case of he's struggling to track the ball. It looked like that first one. I believe he lost in the lights, if I'm not uh, not mistaken. But then the couple other ones, the one where yeah, that was pass interference. He did get held, but you got to sell it, man. You can't just stop. If you keep running, one, you might catch the ball and it turns into a touchdown. But two, if you keep running and you show that you're getting pulled and you're showing the effort, I do think the ref's going to call throw the flag there. But because you give up, no flag, play is over. Like, sometimes you got to make your own luck, right? You know, if the refs aren't going to call it, which, let's be real, the refs weren't great in this game. But are the refs ever consistently great? The refs, we know what they are. Okay. They're going to have some bad calls. So what do you do? You can't let it affect you. You can't let it get you down. And it seemed like McCole Hardman a couple times, especially on that hold, it got him down. you got to fight through. That was really my only main um, concern was, again, the lack of a, of a deep ball, that connection. And, again, just it felt like, and, again, maybe I'm wrong, a little bit of a lack of effort. We'll take a break. Come back, and again, if you want to call in, we can take your calls in the 10 o'clock hour coming up. I assume no one wants to talk if you're cold outside anyways. That sounds miserable. Well, Eric just called in told me 50 mil. 50 mil? Yeah. Eric, I think you're on the right track there. 50 mil seems about right. Again, a number that no one is going to offer you to pop the tarp off. Come back, Sports Radio 810 WHB. Welcome again to Sports Radio 810 WHB. Again, Sterling Holmes with you. Uh, Pat called in in the breaks. He said, what, a, a beer? That's how much it would take for him to take the top off? She said a beer. She said a yeah, beer. that's right. That's right. Wow. One of those frozen beers. Good for you. That right there, I bet she went to the game last night. That's mental toughness. That's <laughs> mental toughness. That, that's something that I lack, man. Zero chance a beer. That would have to be the largest, greatest beer. If it's bourbon, that better be Pappy. Better be some Pappy Van Winkle in there. That's bold. Bold right there. Uh, I thought this was a pretty fun stat here. The Chiefs reached the divisional round for a sixth consecutive season. Think of that. Six straight years the Chiefs have reached the divisional round now. That's wild. Because if you are uh, a certain age, older than probably, what, 25, 21 maybe? I mean, I'm 29. So for me, I grew up with um, the Tylers, Palco and Thigpen. Grew up with... uh, 
Brady Quinn, Damon Heward, when Kyle Orton won a game, when Matt Castle seemed like this massive upgrade. When the Chiefs got Matt Castle, I was like, oh my gosh, a legitimate NFL quarterback. When you went to the playoffs, that felt like a massive ordeal. And now the Chiefs, six straight divisional appearance. Just the run the Chiefs are on, I never thought it would um, never thought it would happen, man. Never thought it would happen. And I'll also point something out for everyone who's been a little bit down this season, right? I'm not saying to tell you how to be a fan, right? That's always going to be whatever you want to do. How long did the Patriots dynasty go without a Super Bowl? Ten years, right? There, there was a decade in between. Was it 04 to 2014, correct? Something like that? I mean, the Chiefs' consistent ability to go not just make the playoffs, but go consistently far in the playoffs. It's astounding. Yeah, you're right. Patriots won it in 2005. Next one, 2015. Yeah. It was a 04-05, I think, season. Yep. And then, yeah. Yep. So, again, that's the greatest NFL dynasty we've ever seen. And they went a decade without one. What the Chiefs have done so far, so far, has been damn impressive. So, again, just trying to put some perspective into this Chiefs' um, recent reign of success. All right. I've given some of my thoughts for for you, Kyle. Who was an unsung hero for you? Who was a guy that stood up, stood out that you were like, you know what? That made a massive difference. Again, we're not talking Mahomes or Kelsey or Chris Jones. A guy that you probably didn't expect to step up, but who did? You know, I think we take this guy for granted because he's been nails all season. But Harrison Butker last mm. night kicking. Kicking in the cold, and I, I know you, you've spoken with Nick Lowry, a former kicker, and former kickers have, have expressed how difficult it is to kick in conditions like these. Yeah. We saw the kickers on both sides last night squibbing, having to squib the kicks due to the wind. Harrison Butker, right down the middle of the, of the goalpost every time he lined up. Yeah. And again, we, I know that they weren't long kicks, right. but even the extra points, I mean, th- those were, uh, crazy enough, those were like the longest kicks he consistently had. But again, they're massive. Yeah. I mean, again, even those 23, 25, 27-yarders, you got to drill them. You got to make them. And, and, and he did. And again, I, I'm glad that Harms brought that up. James Winchester and also Tommy Townsend getting the snap down. I mean, dog, in that cold... That can't be easy. You saw Creed Humphrey having some issues snapping the ball, right? Right, right. And you're going three feet back to, to Mahomes right there. Two feet back. Winchester's throwing that thing <laughs> yards, baby. And he didn't have any issue. Like I, I think there actually is some credit to be given to just the Dave Tobe, but, but just specifically just those guys. James Winchester, who you never hear about, you never talk about, only time you talk about him is we're doing something bad, but he never does anything bad, so you never talk about him. And then Tommy Towns with the hold. I mean, th- those were very important um, underlying players and plays in this Chiefs victory. Yeah, because given those conditions, how easily that could have gone awry and taken points off the board for the Chiefs. 
Hell, Tony Romo couldn't get it down in, in, <laughs> in Seattle. Was it Seattle, I think it was? They lost? In good weather. In good weather. It's hard. Um, man. I, I will also say uh, Richie James, I, I was impressed with him as far as he caught, what, one of them? Fair caught a couple others, but in that weather, in that wind, be smart. That's the one thing I've really enjoyed with Richie James back there outside of the one, um, oh my gosh, mind-blowingly insane catching the ball in the end zone and then taking it out. At least he got out to the eight-yard line when he did that a couple weeks ago. Don't you trust Richie James back there? I trust him more than anyone else, more than McColl. You, you, you no longer have the sky more. You no longer have the, oh my gosh, what are they going to do back there? At least catch the ball. With Richie James, I have all the confidence that he will make the right decision back there. Yeah, and frankly, I can't believe there weren't more muffed punts, muffed kicks. I know yeah. a lot of the kicks were squibs, but given those conditions, again, I I can't believe the ball was not fumbled around a lot more in that game. Uh, as far as the Browns-Texans game, the earlier game in the day, you know, Texans won 45-14. It was back-to-back pick sixes from Joe Flacco. Uh, I said going into this game, I... I I, I'm so mad at myself. You know when you tell yourself you're going to do something and then you don't put money on it because I, apparently I didn't have the stones? I'm like, I'm putting money on a Texans defensive touchdown. Because Flacco throws a lot of interceptions. I go, the, the, the pumpkin that is Joe Flacco is, is it's coming home. Like, like it, it's midnight. Sorry. It's done. You knew the magic was over. You, well, he was throwing so many interceptions, but the team was still winning. Yeah. Well, you can do that against a lot of times lesser opponents. When you get a, a, a team like the Texans, who offensively are as explosive as they are, they're going to make you pay. They made the Browns pay, right? And it wasn't just that. It was the, the, the two pick sixes. So I go, he's going to at least throw one or two interceptions. So I'm, I'm going to put money on a Texans defense touchdown. And then I didn't do it because I have no stones, apparently. And they did it back-to-back. Just they did it back-to-back. J- just <laughs> should have thrown five or on two touchdowns. That's why I'm a bad better, okay? But again, Texans just hammering the Browns, which, again, they're a phenomenal defense, but they don't travel. As we were laughing with Harms, right, they were unreal at home. On the road, they were not a very good defense. It was a wild split. They got smacked. They got hammered. How dangerous is this Texans team? I mean, to me, it almost has a feeling of when Mahomes first got to Kansas City, the first year he started, right? Because uh, he only played the final game of the season, his his rookie year. Where you're like, they don't know any better. It's like the Royals in 2014. A lot of young dudes, for the most part, were like, they don't know any better. They don't know that you're you're supposed to go up against a great defense and just eviscerate them. They don't know that you're supposed to lose to to the Miles Garrett led Cleveland Browns, to the wily veteran Joe Flacco. Like I think there's some similarities there of a lot of these young teams. Right, it happened with the Mets with with David Wright early in his career. Right, a lot of times these young teams, their first year, their rookie year, their second year in the league. All these guys, they play so loose. It's like the moment is not registering to them, right? I think sometimes you get older, you might even get a little tight because you're like, this might be my last time. 
You're young. You think, I'm getting here every single year. This is normal, which for the Chiefs, sure enough, it has been. But I think the Texans are a dangerous team because they had no expectations of this. If they would have gotten 500 this year, that fan base would have been ecstatic. They won a playoff game. I think the Texans are a very dangerous team in the playoffs right now. Uh, you're 100% right. I mean, let's let's look at their offense and your comparison to to a young Chiefs team. You know, before Mahomes' contract kicked in, now they've got C.J. Stroud as a rookie. Mm-hmm. Drafted him number two overall this year, which, yeah, if they would have finished 500, partying in Houston, right? Yeah. C.J. Stroud, 23 years old. Nico Collins, 24, 23 years old. Yep. Tank Dell, I know he's out for the year, but he's 23 years old. He had a monster rookie rookie season for a wide receiver and they've got a ton of cap space moving forward yeah the reason why i like them so much going into this year they re-signed laramie tunsil and they brought in in my opinion the best free agent tied in dalton schultz and the reason why i said that and, and why those two moves specifically spoke volumes rookie quarterbacks need time and they can't be constantly looking over their their their, their back their shoulder right and where do rookie quarterbacks typically look for first in an offense? Tight end, so Dalton Schultz. This Texans team is very dangerous, but what I will say in regards to facing Kansas City, no tank Dell is a massive loss. So when you just have Nico Collins, who, don't get me wrong, is outstanding. When you just have Nico Collins, and to an extent, you got Dalton Schultz, Chiefs defense is more than capable of taking those guys out of the game. Like, as good as the Texans are, I once again am sitting here saying, they're not a good matchup for KC. KC, they're very good against teams with really good wide receiver wide receivers and really good weapons. Uh, looks like we got a caller, Tommy Moe. Tommy, how are you? How are we all doing this morning? You got through to the station, I see. Uh, we made it here, baby. We made it here. I'm bundled up, but I made it here. Oh, you didn't cheat like Seren and just pull up his microphone from his house? <laughs> no. I, see, I don't get that technology. I I, I don't get that. Uh, surprisingly, they don't, they don't have one set up in my house. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Just uh, a couple unsung heroes, and this is probably no one's thought of, no one cares about. Mike Pinnell is a guy that... Mm. Uh, Kind of was a player back in 2019 for us. Made some plays here and there. Championship game. He stopped Derrick Henry on a big third and one play. Caused an interception for uh, Jimmy G in the uh, Super Bowl. He was kind of a, put a big time pressure. He's kind of gone away. Gone, been on and off a few teams since then. And he's been on the practice squad. And I don't know how the elevation number of times, but this was his third time being brought up from the practice squad to the active roster, and now I hope, you know, that I think there's three times you can do that. Now, when it comes to the playoffs, I don't know if that number goes away or not. So, you know, he, uh, Naughty left by middle of third quarter with an elbow, it looked like. I remember kind of seeing him point towards his elbow. But Pinnell has just kind of stepped in there, and he's kind of a force. I mean, he's a big guy, and in these games in cold weather where you're not moving a lot of bodies, it seems like, because it's tough to get traction, he seems like a player that, uh, has some staying power here here on out in the uh, playoffs. For, uh, uh, I was going to say, go ahead. For, for you, Tommy, it uh, looks like NFL teams can elevate players from the practice squad an unlimited number of times in the playoffs, even if they've reached their elevation limit. 
Very good, very good. And another guy, uh, Clyde Edwards, he had some big plays. I know the fumble was uh, kind of a non-factor, but a couple plays. The one play where his old lineman pushed him about seven, eight, nine yards down the field. His low center of gravity was able to do that. And his catch, I don't know if it was on second or third down on uh, down uh, in the red zone when he caught the ball about a yard shy of the uh, first down marker and made a nice little spin and lunge to get the first down. And then they, you know, we had to see a Chiefs trick by the next play. Uh, was a big time uh, play for him. So, like I said, he has stepped up from uh, early season where he uh, we were all questioning why is he playing, why is he getting any touches. So, CEH. And, sir, I want you to answer me a question, and I don't need it right now. I've asked everybody, and no one can come up with this answer, yes or no. There's a Coors Light commercial. There's a gentleman sitting in a lawn chair throwing a beanbag chair. Do you know what the commercial I'm talking about? They've run it a thousand times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is that CEH? I don't think so, but now that you mention it, it does look a little bit like him, right? It's the, the, yeah, I mean, he's been modeling yeah. in New York. You know, that's the first thing I go, is that CEH? Because it's a guy of about his size. He's wearing, he's wearing sporty glasses. He's got his smile. Yeah. You know, and it is, I just want someone to ask him that or someone to say, nah, Tommy, no, you're way off. That's not, <laughs> that can't be him. But I've asked everybody. I've kind of texted people, you know, in the program and here and there. No one's, you know, no one's even acknowledged the question. So I just want to know somebody to pull that pull that video up and say, Tommy Mo, you are way off. That's not him. I just want someone to look that commercial up and give me some verification either way. Yeah, I got Kyle in it right now, producer. He's looking it up right now. Looks like he's going to do our uh, our very extensive research right here. Hey, I know you guys will do the background. Have a great day. Hey, you too, Tommy Mo. Thanks for the call, man. Um, good call, by the way, on on Mike Pinnell, man. Mike Pinnell was. Um, the definition of an unsung player. He was when he first signed back here in, what was it, 2019. You're right against the Titans. Um, and then in this game, again, there are a couple of plays. And by the way, Mike Pinnell also looked pretty warm in this one. Mike Pinnell, when he got up after that that huge stop, uh, he, he didn't look like he was too cold out there. Mike Pinnell, again, man, he is just a big body but he's so strong. He he's kind of what we thought Danny Shelton was going to be this season. Whenever Danny Shelton was uh, brought in, even last year to an extent, we're like, okay, Danny Shelton's going to be the big bodied run stuffer in the middle. And then Derek Naughty to start the season got the got the nod. And quite frankly, Derek Naughty to start the year looked more like young Derek Naughty, or should I say, younger Derek Naughty. But as the seasons progressed, Derek Naughty somewhat has regressed, and he's not done much. Quite frankly, whether it's the elbow, if he's healthy or not, for Fernandi, I'm completely fine letting Mike Pinnell get a larger share of the snap count in uh, the playoffs going forward. Looking up the snap count share from last night, um, it looked like Naughty played only seven snaps before he went down with injury. Uh, Mike Pinnell played 15 Turk Wharton ended up playing 25. Turk Wharton, I didn't see much uh, flash from him out there. Um, and then you look at, obviously, uh, Mike Dana playing 70% of snaps. Aminahu playing 80%. Carl Loftus playing 74. They went with a very heavy um, 
three slash four defensive ends slash playing on the inside as the game progressed once Derek Naughty went out. We got a call in from Pat. Pat, how are you? Hey, I'm good. Hey, your last caller talking about Pinnell. There's a phenomenal Bill Parcells quote. I mean, he's he's full of them, right? But mm-hmm. he said he said one time that in cold weather playoffs, the speed guys get slower, but the big guys stay the same size. <laughs> and I love it. Uh, I love Parcells. Obviously, everybody does. Yeah. But yeah, um, we'll see what the Chiefs do. Thank that's, you. Yeah, thanks, Pat. Appreciate the call in there, man. That that's a great quote right there. Big guys stay the same size. Again, Mike Mike Pinnell, I'm not saying he's the answer to whoever you put alongside Chris Jones, but I think you trust Mike Pinnell. Again, the Chiefs' run game in this game in particular was, or run defense, was the best we've seen all season. Raheem Mostart, who went for 7.1 yards a carry against the Chiefs in Germany, 8 carries, 33 yards. Devon Achan averaged at 7.8 yards a carry this season. Not Pac-12 football. NFL, over 100 touches. Six carries, nine yards. Chief defense, even stopping the run, was the best we have seen all season long. And what made me nervous going into this game the explosive plays from the running backs. Raheem Mostert, his long, eight yards. Hey, Kyle, what, what do you think Devon Achan's long rush was in this game? Well, he averages, what, 7.8 per yeah. carry? Oh, let me go double digits then. Three. Three. He had nine yards total, which is basically one carry on the season. Averaged 1.5 yards a touch. A carry, I should say. Chiefs' run defense was the best we have seen. And it was on the biggest stage, biggest moment of the year. Mike Pinnell, uh, you deserve a beer. Not one of those frozen ones from the game last night. You deserve a cold beer that's not frozen, that's not a slush. But I do wonder, even if Derek Nottie is good to go, I, I, I am perfectly content giving those snaps to Pinnell. And quite frankly, I'm perfectly fine giving uh, some of Turk Wharton's snaps to Mike Pinnell. I also enjoyed, again, as I mentioned, you got Chris Jones obviously on the inside. You can move Karloftis, Dana, or Minahu on the inside and have all four of those guys line up. They did that in obvious passing down situations, and you just saw the difference that it makes. The pressure that those four guys can put on a quarterback, it's astounding. The amount of pressure that it puts on an offensive line to block, especially when Steve Spagnuolo and his creative mastermind is sending a McDuffie, a Justin Reed, a Legereus, a Willie Gay Jr., anyone from one of the sides, makes it so hard for a quarterback in an offensive line. And the and the difference is Tua couldn't tell what was going on, right? Not only was Tua struggling to throw the ball, 
Tua was not picking up the pressure for his offensive line. I mentioned they were confusing Teron Armstead. And part of that's also on Tua Tagovailoa and not pointing out and saying, hey, this guy's a mic, this guy's coming. How often did you hear in that game last night, Mahomes perfectly call out who was coming, and then that guy came? You know how much that helps an offensive line? You know how much that helps uh, Clyde or Isaiah Pacheco in pass protection to pick up that guy? Mahomes seemingly always knows who the blitzer is going to be, the extra guy. Tua Tagovailoa, on the other hand, did not. Credit to Spags for confusing him, but it also goes into why Mahomes is such a difference maker at quarterback and why it's not just his athleticism and the physical traits that he possesses, but also the mental side of things. What'd you find, Kyle? I want Tommy Moe to rest assured. I... I don't think that's Clyde. You don't think it's Clyde? If you watch it, oh my God, it looks just like him. Yeah, I know. And I pull up his roster picture, I'm like, oh my God, that might be Clyde. It might be Clyde. Uh, I tried to look for the actor. Uh, there were a couple different names, honestly. Mm. I can't find a, a, a 100% safe source. But what I, you may have found out is he has different names, and this guy might be trying to pull a fast yeah. one. Maybe it's just, maybe that's his stage name. That's Clyde's stage name. Clyde's stage Although name. Clyde is a great name for yeah. Anchor, well, what was Kadarius Tony's rapper name? Like they had. Uh, remember that one? Uh, what was Dwayne Bowe's? Didn't Dwayne Bowe have one? I think uh, his was Money Bowe. Money Bowe. I right. find Tony's yeah. name. Yeah. Joker. That's what it was. Joka, I believe. Sorry, J O K A. Young Joka. Yeah. I really wish that was CEH. That would have been so good. It does look striking. I didn't like think about it until Tommy Mo. That's a, good, that's a good call. If you want to call in, we'll take some more calls the rest of the hour before Matt Derrick joins us at 11 Let's take a break. Come back. Sports Radio 810 WHB. Welcome again to Sports Radio 810 WHB. Sterling Holmes still with you. Be with you until noon. Matt Derrick will be joining us at 11 o'clock. Another little takeaway from the Bills game getting moved. The Bills do win. Nice couple extra days rest for, for the Chiefs. I mean, that has to feel damn good. Especially after a game in that cold where just falling on the ground looked painful. When Rasheed Rice looked like he got banged up just a little bit. Uh, just um, just back when he uh, uh, fell, right? When Rasheed Rice got banged up right there. The two extra days they have on the Bills, if the Bills do win, I think will be absolutely massive. Uh, looks like we got a caller, Andrew. Andrew, how are you? Andrew, how you doing, man? Hey, I'm doing great. Good, man. What's up? Hey, um, I'm, you know, it's a great show you guys are having, but uh, we're having a great time. Uh, drove down from Omaha yesterday, and on the way back up, I'm listening to your show, and I just had a real quick question. I kept seeing Travis Kelsey go in and out of the field over and over again, like not playing back-to-back plays, even after running maybe like a two-yard route or something like that. Mm. And I was just trying to figure out what exactly was going on there, if you guys knew anything. 
Uh, I don't know anything off the top of my head right here. Looks like Travis Kelsey ended up playing 68 snaps. That was 80, 86% of the snap count. So that's a hefty amount. He was the highest um, highest Chiefs offensive player outside of the offensive line in Mahomes. Well, there you go. So, uh, yeah. Hey, how, how was the game, driving from Omaha? Uh, the drive down was pretty good. We had seats way up top, uh, right up underneath one of the scoreboards. And I'll tell you, it was not warm. <laughs> um, the thing about the beer slushies is absolutely 100% real. Um, I've never seen so many Kansas City Chiefs fans wanting to stand that close to each other in my entire life. Um, but it was great. I'll tell you what, it was wonderful to make the trip down, and we had a blast. Uh, Andrew, that's awesome, man. That is awesome. Congratulations. Way to be a part of history. Way, way to man up and go. Way, way, yeah, way, way to be tough. <laughs> Fantastic. All right, go Chiefs, guys. Thanks a lot. Hey, thanks, Andrew, for the call. Appreciate that one. Yeah, uh, I saw what you are saying where it looked like at times Kelsey was, was, was coming out, coming to the sideline. But, again, he played the most snaps of anyone that was not a offensive lineman or Mahomes, 86%, which is, um, quite frankly, an absolutely monumental amount for the amount of snaps the Chiefs had, 68, uh, or 79 total he played in 68. And for the fact that he has been banged up all season long, in that cold, and also in that cold, not just the physicality nature of it, but the conditioning nature of it. I talked about it. I've lived in Philly for three years, and the cold gets to you, like that type of cold. It makes it at times harder to get a, a full deep breath. So I was wondering how much... Um, rotating in and out was going to go on, not just defensively, but offensively as well. Um, so to me, again, these guys, obviously they're professional athletes, but uh, you just never know how the actual human nature aspect is going to, going to take hold. Um, Kelsey, 86%. You love to see it. Uh, Rasheed Rice played 77. Pacheco, 70. And then the second wide receiver spot. Guess who you think it was? I know who it was. Justin Watson. That's right. Justin Watson with 68%, which means how much did MVS play? 41%. He was third. He was third. But he's slowly sliding down. Yeah. We've been talking for a while now how we would like to see more Watson get the MVS snaps, the deep balls in particular. Um, McCole Hartman played 27 snaps and then Richie James with 16. Surprisingly, not, not a lot of 12. Well, Noah Gray played 37 snaps, 47%. Um, but just in general, if you look at what was the breakdown in regards to the target share, the receptions, while yes, to an extent you can say Mahomes really spread the ball around because he threw the ball to one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine different guys, right? Nine different guys had a reception. Rasheed Rice had eight. Travis Kelsey had seven. Fifteen of the 23 catches were from those two guys. Twenty-two of the 34 targets... We're from Rasheed Rice and Travis Kelsey. You see 41 throws. Um, that's because some were obviously thrown throwaways. So I love seeing that. Yeah, that's the formula, right? 
that's the formula for success for this Kansas City Chiefs offense. It's it's Rice, it's Kelsey, and it's Pacheco running the ball. And Pacheco had 24 carries. How often, just earlier in the year, even towards the end, when we're saying you can't just have this many guys rotating in and out, you can't get a flow when everyone's trying to get three, four, five targets a game, it's just it's not sustainable. What do they do in the playoffs? Focused in, honed in on three guys. You're right. Pacheco running the ball, 24 carries. Rasheed Rice, eight receptions, 12 targets. Travis Kelsey, seven receptions, 10 targets. Rasheed Rice's eight receptions. You take Travis Kelsey out of the uh, equation here. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. The other seven guys had eight catches. The amount that Rasheed Rice had. Again, this is what the formula is going forward. At least for this season. Next year, maybe it's different. But you look around the NFL, it's always the Eagles, right? Devontae Smith, A.J. Brown, who's actually out. A.J. Brown out with the knee. That's a huge loss for the Eagles. You look at um, Tampa Bay, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. You look at Miami, Jalen Waddell, Tyree Kill. It's always two receivers pretty much on these great teams. Well, the Chiefs have it with Rasheed and Travis Kelsey, but you have a smattering on these other teams of guys you focus in on. Typically for the Texans, it had been Nico Collins and Tank Dell with a smattering in of, of Dalton Schultz. So when you have so much focus now on Rasheed Rice and Travis Kelsey, that allows Noah Gray to go free for a 20-yard gain. That allows Justin Watson to catch two for 20 on two targets, which is the number he should be at not trying to get 10 targets a game, right? Yeah. I like Justin Watson. He's not a six, seven, eight, nine target type of guy a game. Two, two targets, two receptions, 20 yards. That's perfect. Um, you know, Richie James getting his one reception for six yards. MVS catching the ball, right? One for eight. This is the formula for Kansas City going forward. Now, McCall Hardman, I think, might be a little bit of the uh, option three. If we saw anything by the amount of targets he received in this game, the amount of looks, he's going to be the deep ball guy now instead of MVS, which again, why isn't Justin Watson? Because Justin Watson has at least shown an ability to come down with the football. But I don't know how I feel about McCole Hardman being that guy. Because McCole, to me, is miscast. Everyone sees his, what, 4-3 speed? Everyone sees him blowing by guys, and they automatically assume he's a deep ball guy. He's not. He's not a good tracker of the ball. Seems like he gives up on plays. Where he's good is going horizontal. Mm -hmm. Where he's good, quite frankly, is those little slants. I, I, I always think that he got miscast because of his speed. You know, fans always expect him to be this deep ball uh, maverick, but he really isn't. That's not his game. And so when the Chiefs throw him the ball, he is getting open. And you're hoping that he comes down with one, right? Because what was an issue a large part of the season? Getting separation. McCole gets separation going deep. The issue is he's not tracking it. Reminds you of what? Nori Aoki out there. Is that, is that a good comp, right? The little Nori Aoki? Yeah, that's solid. Because he looks like he needs a map out there. He needs know? a map out he's, there. He's turning around every which way, trying to find that ball. 
So maybe there. But I, I don't know. The Chiefs don't have a great deep ball option on this team, so I at least applaud them for trying something different because clearly MVS was uh, was not happening. What are your thoughts overall on the breakdown? Again, uh, Rasheed Rice, 12 targets, Travis Kelsey, 10. The next highest was McColl with three. Uh, no, that's just how it has to work from here on out. And like you said, next year it could change. But moving forward, this is the formula for success. I know Briscoe, he talks about this a lot, every postgame show. It's you find Rasheed Rice, you find Travis Kelsey, you give the ball to Isaiah Pacheco, let him run it. Who knew that was going to work out? Chiefs dropped 26 points. With this defense, 21 points, honestly, should be enough. And you've got one of the best kickers in the game. I know the conditions weren't great for him uh, last night, so we couldn't be making a 50-yarders out there. But mm. that's how this offense has to work. And like you said, Justin Watson can't keep he, – he can't be getting double-digit targets. Noah Gray, Justin Watson, they can help out when the defenses focus their coverage on guys like Rasheed Rice and Travis Kelsey – and you know what we didn't really see last night was the screen game. I expect yeah. we'll see that moving forward with Pacheco and Clyde. Uh, I did see two plays where there was it was like a triple tight end screen. Blake Bell and Noah Gray uh, blocking for Travis Kelsey. We did see that, but I, I really think moving forward, Andy Reid still has a lot more plays to open up that we that defenses just are not ready for yet. Is this sustainable? against a great defense where maybe they can take away one of those guys. Now, the Bills, for example, let's just say, let's, let's just go with the Bills because I think we all assume the Bills will beat the Steelers. Right. Um, I think the Steelers are clearly the worst team in the playoffs. Again, anything can happen. We know it's football any given Sunday. But without T.J. Watt, this is going to be a massive uphill battle. But when you look at the Bills' defense, you look at their secondary in particular. You know, Razul Douglas, who they brought in from Green Bay, has been a little bit up and down. He's starting to play some better football. Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer, great safeties, but again, they're getting older. Um, and then Taron Johnson, who's a pretty darn good cornerback. But they don't really have a third guy. Um, Tredavious White is on the IR. Uh, Kyrie Elam, right, always uh, in comps with Trent McDuffie, has been really bad. I mean, horrible. I like you look at what the Bills' secondary looks like. You know, obviously, no Matt Milano, right? Matt Milano's been placed on the IR; he's been out uh, out for the season. I think the same game plan can work. Now, I don't know if it works against a team like San Fran, right? Who they have just a plethora of dudes where you have to get creative. But against a team like Buffalo, they don't have lockdown guys. I think this same game plan of just focusing on Rasheed Rice and Travis Kelsey and Pacheco, I think that's a very good game plan to have. No, you're 100% right. And we saw during that during yesterday's game, you know, we've heard the term Mahomes friendly a couple times this year. Yeah. You see Rasheed Rice find that, that soft spot in the zone. That was just an incredible thing to see because we hadn't really seen a wide receiver help out his quarterback. Pretty much all year. No. And we see we see Rasheed Rice just find it find the open spot there, which is something that Travis Kelsey is is known for doing. But you know, seeing Rasheed Rice really just take over the number one the, the number one spot, the number one option, the number one weapon in this offense as a rookie has just been 
all out surprising to me. If you would have told me this before the season, I just it's a rookie in, in Andy Reid's offense. What are you talking about? He's he's not going to get twelve targets in a playoff game. Where does your confidence level sit at as far as Rasheed Rice being a legit wide receiver one in the NFL going forward? Because this game, going into this game, most people I think assumed as a great wide receiver two. Right, I think that seemed like a lot of people's expectations. But I'm sitting here now thinking, could he be, even next year, a legit wide receiver one? I'm not saying Tyree Kill or Devontae Adams, okay, or A.J. Brown, but I'm saying a wide receiver one as far as, um, could he be T. Hig- like a T. Higgins type guy? Like those those back in like the, the 15 to, to, yeah, to yeah, yeah. 25, you know, is he a top 25 wide receiver in the NFL? I think he could be. And and you look at what he does with yards after the catch. Top three in the NFL this year. Yeah. Ahead of Tyreek, but behind Debo Samuel. Right? Like, do you think Rasheed Rice could be a Brandon Ayuk type of player? PFF had him as a what top fifteen ranked wide receiver in the entire NFL this season. Again, take PFF with a grain of salt, but this is a rookie. I mean, Rasheed Rice, all of the underlying analytical numbers backed up the eye test. And as the season went on, it went from having a average depth of target, which was just right by the line of scrimmage, to finally getting him the ball down the field. I'm sitting here going, I have more optimism about him being a wide receiver one from week, what, 16 on now? Yeah. The last few weeks than I've ever had about a Chiefs receiver in a while. Outside of obviously like Tyree Kill, as far as like his draft picks and uh, of that nature, right? Um, played in sixteen games, seventy nine receptions, nine hundred and thirty eight yards, seven touchdowns. And you look at the first eight games of the season. What was that snap count share? He was getting like twelve snaps a game, yeah. and he still almost crested the thousand yard marker. Again, the more I look at Rasheed Rice and everyone's clamoring for a wide receiver one, part of me wonders. I'm not saying you don't focus on trying to bring in a, another wide receiver, but part of me is wondering, is there already a wide receiver one here in Kansas City? Yeah, and given the numbers he's put up already and how quickly it seems, at least to me, how quickly he's developed, imagine his numbers had he been given a full season a full season uh, snap snap share and, and workload, like like you said, like those first five six weeks, it, it was up and down. We were all clamoring. We want more Rasheed Rice. We want more Rasheed Rice. You see how explosive he is with the ball. I think given a full year's workload, it's absolutely he can reach that a thousand yard, eleven hundred yard mark without question. Does he buck the trend for Andy Reid going forward of rookie wide receivers? Because this is maybe a more underlying question, maybe a better one suited for the offseason. But I just thought of this, and I think it's a little interesting question to pose. Obviously, Andy Reid, even with a guy like Rasheed, who's clearly been the best Chiefs wide receiver, it took a while for him to actually get out on the field with any sort of consistency. Let's just say the Chiefs draft a wide receiver in the first or second round again this year, right? Let's just say a second rounder again. Would the success of Rasheed Rice all of a sudden make Andy trust that second round wide receiver more? Now, I'm not, again, maybe if it's, if it's a guy like Sky Moore, maybe it's not. But if it's a guy like Rasheed, who is seemingly already up to speed, 
and and shows the ability to be the, let's just say, second best wide receiver the Chiefs have. I wonder if Andy Reid's um, affinity for typically not playing rookie wide receivers, if that changes all because of what we saw from Rasheed. I wonder if he's the guy we look back on and say, Rasheed almost switched things for Andy and his philosophy. That's a great question. Because, you know what, Rasheed really has just taken over a role in this offense like no other first-year player has. Uh, maybe Juju Smith-Schuster. I feel like in his one year here in Kansas City, he had a solid role. But I, I'm thinking back, you know, Kadarius Tony came in. He wasn't a big part of the offense, still isn't. McCole Hardman never really was a an enormous part of the offense. I don't think he ever cracked 700 yards. And, and again, some of this might be uh, talent-based or as right. far as, because it, it's not like McCole has done it in year four or with the Jets, and it's not like Sky Moore now in year two has really uh, stepped up. So again, you obviously have to have the talent level, but again, I, I wonder how much of that comes from, like again, just trusting these guys, getting them out there early, getting some confidence. And it really is a Mahomes thing, too. I guarantee you Mahomes said, I want I want Rasheed out there. Yeah. Right? Like, He's the best weapon I've got right now. I get him the ball. He's going to take off for at least t- ten yards. You know, I think that's a me. That's a Mahomes and Andy Reid type of decision that's going to be made if they do. You know, go out and draft a, a new young wide receiver as a rookie. What I think was an important offensive philosophy, or at least offensive scheme, we saw last night. That we saw all the way back in the Raiders game, right? When we thought the Chiefs' offense took a huge step forward. Remember when we thought the Chiefs' offense was fixed when they put up 31 and three quarters? And then we realized, okay, no, it's not fixed. We've been talking, at least I have, we want to see more creativity from Andy Reid in the offense. And when I say creativity, I don't mean trick plays. I don't necessarily mean the wildcat that Pacheco ended up scoring on, which, again, we like seeing that. When I mean creativity, I mean what can you draw up to get one-on-ones for Travis Kelsey and Rasheed Rice? What they did against the Raiders, and we saw it last night against the Dolphins, they would line up Rasheed Rice and Travis Kelsey on the same side of the field. Right? Because what happens a lot of times during during this, uh, during the game, during the season? Let's say Travis Kelsey's on one side and MVS is over there with him. Okay, your safety. Safety help. Let's just say it's man coverage. You got a guy on MVS, you got a guy on, on Travis. This is simplified here. Where's the safety going? <laughs> Where's the safety going? He, he's going to come down and go to Travis. They don't trust MVS to even come down with the deep ball. Right. So why would you have safety help there? Right, so yeah, they're not scared of the of the explosive play. They're not, and so when you would have MVS, let's just say even Justin Watson, Sky Moore on the same side as Travis, well, Travis is getting double teamed. So then, what did Andy Reid do? We don't see it all the time. I'd like to still see it more, but we saw it in this game. What did you see him do? You line up Rasheed and Travis on the same side. So now, what happens? Again, we're we're talking simplified here. Let's just say you got one on one. You got you got man coverage. You got a safety help. Well, now what does the safety do? Does he go to Travis? Does he go to Rasheed? When you do that, that means one of those guys is going to have one on one. 
coverage. Mahomes knows, because Mahomes, Mahomes always seems to know even before the play is snapped. I mean, how often, again, last night, going back to that, was he pointing out names, numbers, and saying, hey, 45,000 Mike, he's coming, someone get on him, you know, Clyde, Chip. Basically, we say, Clyde, stay in, stay in here, yeah, yeah, yeah. 45. Like, he's a wizard. Yeah. But again, he still needs someone to have one-on-one who's one of his trusted confidants, which, again, is Rice or Kelsey. So when you see Andy Reid or whoever is scheming this up line up Rice and Kelsey on the same side, one of those dudes most likely is getting one-on-one coverage, and they're going to win their matchup. That's the type of creativity I want to see from Andy in this offense. Not, again, the trick plays, the triple reverses, the handoffs, all that stuff to McColl. That's fine and dandy. Okay, I get it. That's part of the eye candy, all that stuff. That's part of the offense. The actual creativity I'm looking for is that. Yeah. You want to force the defense to make a choice. And therein, you might make them force you might force them to make a mistake in the process. And most likely And Mahomes will eat it up. I I, I wouldn't even say you, you choose wrong. Most likely it won't matter your choice, because Rice and Kelsey are just that good. All right, we'll take a break. Come back, Sports Radio eight ten WHB. Welcome back in Sports Radio 810 WHB. A little small tidbit again we'll have on Matt Derrick at 11. Small tidbit. Doesn't matter a lot for the playoffs. But I've seen some people who were upset that FAU was uh, inactive. Healthy scratch for this game. And I don't mean upset because they wanted to see him necessarily, but upset because they're like, you spent a first-round draft pick on a guy who is, well, again, not even playing in a playoff game. And my rebuttal is, he is 21. He's a developmental prospect, a developmental edge rusher, right? Okay. Now, the Chiefs were stuck. They tried trading up from all accounts, could not. Tried trading back from all accounts. They could not. It takes two to tango, right? So what were they going to do? Rasheed Rice was their guy. But what did you want him to do? Draft Rasheed Rice in the first round. FAU would have been gone. It's not like FAU was this massive reach. Like and you can say uh, Tank Dell, who was a third rounder, or Nico or, uh, or Puka Nakua, but that's hindsight we got to put ourselves back into where the draft actually was, what happened, and the consensus for the most part. They didn't take FAU because he was a local kid. I know that's been a popular talking point. They took him because he was one of the youngest, I think he was the youngest edge rushers in the draft. And he was a borderline first-round talent. A freak athlete. For me, I'm sitting here going, if you're upset that FAU was inactive and you think it's already a bust... I'm just going to try and say, just calm down a little bit here. Again, first off, the first round hit rate, not quite as good as you think. As I mentioned, Kyrie Elam for the Bills, right? You, you, you miss sometimes. You just do. Jeff Akuda, I always, I always laugh. Remember from the Ohio State cornerback? Detroit originally had him, then he went to the Falcons. I remember him being a can't-miss cornerback prospect. He was supposed to be a generational-type corner. He sure wasn't. 
And that was pick three, right? Like, Mitchell Trubisky, like, there's been so many bad draft picks. And this is not me trying to be a, a Brett Veach apologist over here. I'm just trying to pump the brakes on this because I've seen a lot of hate for a 21-year-old kid who I think it's been a little unfounded. I'm sitting here going, Malik Herring played, like, seven snaps last night. Right? I'll actually give you the exact number because I want to be, be accurate here. Uh, Malik Herring played six snaps last night. Right? Part of that's because Derek Naughty went down. And part of that's because the Chiefs were up a lot. But Malik Herring's been playing some decently solid football, right? So what do you want in the playoffs? When it's winner go home, do you want your young developmental prospect getting some run? Or do you want a guy that you think is a better player right now? Get those handful of snaps. Yeah. The Chiefs are just going with the better player. Okay? And if it makes you feel better, what if Rasheed Rice was drafted in the first? What if Wanye Morris was drafted in the second... And then let's just say FAU, the developmental prospect, was drafted in the third. Would that calm your guys' nerves? Would that make you feel a little better? That's all I'm saying. I I know some people are going to disagree with me, and that's completely fine. You're allowed to. I'm just saying from my perspective, I'm not necessarily that worried about FAU. Did he look good week 18? No, he did not. Did he look a little bit slow off the block? Yes, he did. Young kid, though, he still has time to grow. I'm not going to let that bother me when the Chiefs are in the playoffs. I don't want to take Mike Dan off the field either. Mike Dan has been great. Yeah, Charles Aminahu has been unbelievable. George Karloftis has been everything and then some. Chris Jones kicks out outside as well. And then again, those six snaps, you're going with a guy who's more polished currently this year. And that is Malik Heron. We will take a break. We'll come back. When we come back, we'll be joined by Matt Derrick of Chiefs Digest, Sports Radio 810 WHB. Welcome back into Sports Radio 810 WHB. Sterling Holmes joined now by Matt Derrick from Chiefs Digest. Make sure you go check it out, ChiefsDigest.com, as well as 41 is the Mike podcast. Matt, how are you? I am well, Sterling. How are you doing today? Uh, semi-cold. Again, it's 67 in the studio. I'm trying to bump this bad boy up, but uh, we, we, you can kind of see outside. We have those, those wall of windows, as you know. It gets yeah. a little, little, little chilly in this bad boy. It can. I mean, but, but you know, that's the, the, you know, you got so much heat that comes out of the equipment in that studio too. So it's it's a tough it's a tough balancing. It's a wash. You're either it's like a hot pocket. Okay, you're either frigid or you are just sweating. There's no in between typically. No, and you know, you just got you got to pick which one you like the best and and, and roll mm-hmm. with it. Uh, all right, Matt, you were there at the game last night, if I'm not mistaken. You were there very, very late into the night. Uh, just just talk about the atmosphere in the game itself. Yeah, you know, I mean, it was it was a different game. I mean, certainly from, I think, uh, you know, a, a fan standpoint, there were, there, was, there were still some hardy tailgaters out there. Um, but it was a much later arriving crowd than usual. I don't think that was any surprise, but... Once those fans got in there, I mean, I think you could absolutely tell the difference. I mean, that was they they, they made their their impact. You know, sometimes when it's cold, you know, the the fans, everyone's got their mittens on and everything like that, and it can be a little more muted and quiet. But 
I didn't get that sense last night. And, and the players and coaches all talked about the fact that, you know, the fans did make an impact. And um, it was, I think, as, as good an atmosphere as you could get, you know, given the conditions. Yeah, I, I just all things um, included – that seemed like such a loud, fun crowd. I mean, I was shocked. I had no idea what to expect. I mean, I never doubt Kansas City, right? You never doubt the folks that grew up here that love the cold and love the Chiefs. You knew they were going to show out, but just, man, what a fun atmosphere. And just the players, too. Like, the players out there in the fourth quarter dancing, getting after it, laughing, having fun, while, oh, yes, still knocking every single floater that Tua Tugvaloa throws. I mean, that was just so enjoyable to watch that that fourth quarter defense was was some of the most fun I've ever had watching a Chiefs football game. Yeah, and that's you know that's just another example of why I say that if this offense can get this defense a lead early in a postseason game, I just don't think that they're giving it up. They really feed off of that kind of energy. And given just the way that this season has unfolded and the, and the struggles that this team went through really in the second half of the year, they seem to be embracing the good times. So when they get an opportunity to win a game like that, 26-7, to 7, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a, an emotion, a feeling that this team hasn't had a lot of. And, and they did this, you know, the same thing kind of broke out at the end of the, the Bengals game. I mean, you know, the, um, once that thing was comfortably in place and, you know, and the Chiefs had to clinch the division, there was the swag surfing and the dancing and everything on the sideline. Um, and it's, it's leading, it's led by this defense. I mean, this defense, I guess, is, you know, we would have said four or five years ago, this, this defense has a swagger. There's no doubt about it. And, uh, and they're the one that's, that's leading the emotion of this team right now. And I think Legarius Sneed is uh, the prime example of this. I was laughing because he seemingly is a very calm, mellow guy. You don't really see him get in the face or trash talk with a lot of dudes. And it felt like in this game, he was everywhere. He may have been chirping a little bit, too. It, it was so fun to see the confidence just exuding from him. You know, didn't matter if it was Tyreek Hill, if he was getting, uh, if he was bullying Tyreek Hill, locking him up, locking anyone else up. It didn't matter. I mean, Legereus Sneed was absolutely everywhere. And part of me was wondering, do, do you think the, the All-Pro and the Pro Bowl snub made him just play a little bit better? Because I didn't even think he could play better, and yet somehow he did. It, it could have, but, you know, there's no doubt. I mean, Legereus enjoys atmospheres like that. I mean, he really enjoys going up against top-level talent. And, you know, yesterday it wasn't just Tyreek, but Jalen Waddle, too. I mean, he probably played Waddle more more the night than he did Tyreek. He loves that. I mean, he really does embrace that. And, and he had no trouble, you know, getting in the face of both those guys and, and doing a little trash talking and getting them playing physical. And that that set the tone, absolutely. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt about it. And Jerry Smith was voted a captain, a postseason captain by this team. You know, and I think that says a lot because – you know, Legarius is not a vocal guy. I mean, he's not that kind of, he's not a raw, raw kind of leader. He's not like, you know, a Patrick Mahomes or a, a Chris Jones. He's much more, you know, subdued. I mean, his, his leadership really comes through by example. And I think that the fact that his teammates and coaches, you know, selected him as a captain for the postseason says a lot about what they think of him. Matt Derrick from Chiefs Digest is our guest. In regards to. Chiefs playoff football being different, right? Like, 
Chiefs playoff football just feels different. This team played one of the best games they have played all season long, and for them, this was the biggest game they have played in all season long. Is there just a different feel? Is this a team that can, you know, we were laughing, like the Golden State Warriors, like the Tom Brady-led Patriots of the past, where you, you see them in the regular season, they don't look that impressive, and then the playoffs roll around, and all of a sudden they look like a different, better team. Is this a team that can almost just turn it on? Is that what you're kind of feeling right now? Yeah, I mean, that was the question that I had going into that game last night, was, you know, whether this team had that had that other gear that it could find, because... Typically, you know, especially once this role kind of began, I mean, this, this, this six-year stretch began, you know, it was, it was a couple of years into it where you could kind of tell that the wear and tear of being the, the hunted every single week in and the week in and week out of the season wore on this team. And, you know, and, and they didn't maybe really start to, you know, shine until December. I mean, that's, you know, there was a lot of emphasis on it being a marathon, not a sprint, and, you know, you could really see that once the calendar turns to December, this team would focus. And, and this year, you ju- you didn't see that. I mean, December was the, it was the toughest month. This team's had a long time, uh, had a couple of losses that you know were kind of ex- certainly unexpected to me. Um, had some really flat performances. So then the question becomes: I mean, does this team have that extra gear that it can find? And I, I, last night, it looked like they did. I mean, it. You know, you you would I, I would have thought that there was enough youth on this team and enough guys that you know had hadn't been around for the entire run that you know this team wouldn't be susceptible maybe to those kind of slumps and, and that kind of letdown. But you know, last night I don't think there was any doubt. I mean, that was the most focused and uh, uh, intentional I think that we have seen this team all season, and it was on both sides of the football. It wasn't perfect. It wasn't an all-around performance. I think the weather certainly played a factor in that. But I don't think there's any doubt. I mean, that that to me was even you know big win over the Bears. You know, a lot of points that day. They looked really good, and, and they had some big wins early in the first you know seven weeks of the season, beating the Dolphins the first time. Um, but this to me, like I said, it wasn't perfect, but I think it might have been the most complete game that this team's played all season. Just in regards to the, the, the team itself, you know, we, we've said all season long, uh, if they didn't have the penalties, if they didn't have the turnovers, if they didn't have the drops, this team would be, be playing some really good football offensively, yet that has been the case every single week. And quite frankly, it happened again in this game. You know, there was a couple of, of penalties on the offensive line, specifically on number 74. Uh, Jawan Taylor, uh, there were a few drops, even from Travis Kelsey. So it's, I know it's easy to blame the weather, but also it's been the same issues all year long. Uh, but part of me is sitting back going, that's fine. We saw that this Chiefs team, even with those issues, they are good enough to be a playoff caliber team because of the defense, because of special teams, and because they make enough plays, because 15 consistently puts them in the right spot. Because even if the the guys maybe aren't bringing the ball in, the ball's there. They're not making many poor decisions. You know, I, I said going into the show, I said 26 points. If they score that in every single game, the rest of the playoffs, they're winning the Super Bowl. I think 26 is enough to win every single game you know how much do you do you take away moving forward that they were able to win this convincingly even with some of the same issues that have plagued them all season long yeah you know and to me i mean i think a big part of it was that it, it was still less than everything i mean you know there were, there were fewer penalties than they've had in, in some games in the past 
Um, the the one turnover that they had was a late turnover. It was obviously when the team was already you know put away. So you know, had that come out differently, you know, had it been you know, they, they they turned over the football early in the first half, maybe that sets a little bit different tone for the game. Uh, but I thought that you know one of the biggest differences to this game with me it really comes back to Mahomes was just his decision making last night because he, you know he, I don't think that he really made a bad decision all night long. Um, I don't think that there was really even a bad throw all night long, uh, and and particularly when you're talking about turnover worthy plays, I, I can't think of any. I mean, I did the Dolphins even get a hand on the ball coming out of his his hand last night. I, I don't remember it. I mean, there there maybe there was a breakup and everything that one of the defenders made, but there was nothing close to an interception, anything of that nature. If the play wasn't there, he wasn't trying to force it. He, I think, he threw the ball away last last night more than. I've seen him in quite a while. I think it was seven. Uh, if I'm doing my math correctly, there was 34 targets, 41 attempts, so that would mean seven throwaways, probably. That's, I mean, and that speaks volumes about just, you know, where his mindset was, because that's not, you know, usually, you know, gunslinger Mahomes is going to, you know, if there's nobody open, he's going to try and find a window and thread it through there. But uh, there was no doubt. I mean, this, this, this week, one of the things that this offense was preaching, and Matt Nagy mentioned it on Thursday, was that, or on Wednesday, that this, uh, the, the football is precious, you, you know, in the postseason. You've got to protect possessions. You can't give the football away. And I think Mahomes did that. I mean, he took his, he took his shots downfield and, and those were well executed and well timed. I mean, he didn't, the receivers didn't necessarily help him out, but, he 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 performed exactly well. I mean, he he read the coverages. I mean, there was there was nothing. I mean, I I know his completion percentage and because of the throwaways wasn't fantastic last night, and there were some drops because I think of the cold too. But that was just from a decision making standpoint. I think that might have been Mahomes' best game of the season. Yeah, and that's what we actually opened with. Was I, I my question I posed was was this the best game Mahomes has played all year? I go, don't look at the box score because the box score does not tell the full picture. I'm with you, Matt. I I think this was the best game Mahomes played all season long. But we've talked about the uh, the stars, the studs. I like talking about the unsung heroes, some of the guys that maybe aren't getting enough love. Um, who, in your mind, were some unsung heroes in this game? You know, really, when uh, when Derek Naughty went down, you're talking about the guys in the middle of that, that defensive line that came in to, to play in his place, Tershawn Wharton, Mike Pinnell. Um, there were other guys who rotated inside there, but, you know, that was that was huge. I mean, that was a big part of you know being able to to keep that Miami ground game in check was that there was nothing up the middle to go through. You know, there was some really good defensive line play played by that group up front, and I think a big part of it was absolutely Borton and, and Pinnell stepping in for Derek Naughty when he went out with the elbow injury. Um, you know, the the Dolphins. I mean, you just look at. It, there, I mean, good grief. HHN never got on track last night, and I don't know if there was an, an issue that popped up with him, but um, he didn't start, which kind of surprised me. I thought that, you know, that was definitely that he was primed for a big role last night, and the Chiefs didn't see him the first time around. Um, but there were no running lanes last night, and I mean, a big part of it, I think, was absolutely that defensive line. But the, the, the job that the Pennell and Wharton, I think, you know, did was absolutely incredible. Um, you know, I, the, the Chiefs also went with a lot of 12 and 13 personnel sets last night. Even though Noah Gray and Blake Bell 
didn't have any numbers. I, I think they were absolutely huge as far as just, you know, being complimentary players, and they've certainly played a role in the run game. But and, and these three guys are not, you know, unsung heroes, but I will tell you this, that um, the trio of Joe Tooney, Creed Humphrey, and Trey Smith just absolutely shut down Chris, Christian Wilkins. Yeah. Kept him out of the backfield. I think he at la- at one point I saw that he only had one pressure on the entire night. I don't know if he ended up getting a second one, um, but there was a focus on making sure that that guy because he's the he was the only playmaker that the Dolphins had up front, and they made a point to make sure that he didn't get into the backfield. And not only did they do that, but they also helped pave the way for 146 yards rushing. Uh, those, those guys deserve credit for that. Yeah. Matt Derrick is our guest, and sticking with the offensive line, obviously Juwan Taylor and the penalties are unacceptable. You can't keep going with that yet. Uh, the Chiefs certainly have another option right now at right tackle, especially when it's making 20 mil per year. But I think outside of the penalties, Juwan Taylor held his own. He, he was uh, pretty darn solid, especially in pass protection. And then Donovan Smith was my unsung hero. You know, Donovan Smith, who's missed multiple weeks with a neck injury, he comes back. I thought if Wanya Morris was healthy, I thought maybe Donovan Smith had lost his starting role. I thought Wanya Morris had played good enough and with fewer penalties. But I thought Donovan Smith had a really good game, uh, not just a good game for for coming back from the injury and coming back into the cold, but an actual really good game. I, I think Donovan Smith needs a little bit more love as well. Yeah, and, and, and just because of the point I made previously about the Chiefs really focusing on Wilkins, that was intentional, the fact that they were going to end up leaving those tackles alone on an island, and and they felt like they could do that a little bit because the Dolphins were so banged up, you know, at that edge rusher position. The M.M. Um, Manuel Ogba was the only, you know, regular player that they had out there. I mean, they were rushing with Melvin Ingram and Justin Houston and Bruce Irvin. I mean, these were guys that they literally just signed to the active roster this week. And, you know, and Ingram had only been there since mid-December. So, and, and those are those are good names, but they're, they're, hey, they're older players. And, you know, you should be able to, to handle them one-on-one. And the Chiefs left both those tackles, Smith and Taylor, one-on-one situations on the outside. And they both handled it. So, yeah, I mean, the, the penalties for Juwan, a problem. But for him and Donovan Smith, both, when it just came to the pure pass protection, they did their jobs last night. Yeah. Uh, Matt Derrick is joining us right here at Sports Radio 810 WHB. You know, Andy Reid talked about a little bit post-game, right, as far as maybe they were surprised at how much the Chiefs threw the ball. I was shocked. Three straight throws to start the game. You saw the first two, and there was a little unsettling feeling I got of, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing throwing the ball this many times to start the game? Then, of course, the third one comes down. It's a catch by Travis Kelsey for a first down, and then the rest is history. But I, I think that actually made some sense, where everyone expected the Chiefs to run the football, and they said, we are going to do the opposite. And on the other side of things, defensively, it almost felt like they were daring Tua to throw the football. Again, you mentioned nine yards total for a guy who averaged 7.8 yards a carry. Raheem Mostert, who averaged 7.1 yards a carry the first time around, ran for 33 yards. I mean, it just seemed like the Chiefs completely caught the Dolphins flat-footed. What did you see from the game plan here? Yeah, I, I, I don't think there was any any doubt. I mean, the, the Chiefs were fine with Tua throwing the football. What they didn't want him to do was to throw it on schedule. They wanted to disrupt his timing, and I, I, was, I think it was pretty intentional. They felt like it was one of those things that is the Dolphins' offense is completely predicated on timing. It's about receivers being in the right place and Tua getting rid of the ball quickly, taking advantage of his accuracy, 
and, and really just moving the ball that way. And, the, you know, the Chiefs did this, you know, the first time around in Frankfurt. Uh, you know, their, their philosophy on Tua was let him throw the football. Just don't let him do it when he wants to. Make him hold on to it a little bit longer. Uh, and you saw it. I mean, you know, the, the turnover came out of play when he had to, you know, held on to the football a little bit and had to look for a second option. Uh, they, the Chiefs were jamming those receivers at the line of scrimmage to keep them from getting, being able to get off and get their timing down. They did a really good job of just kind of hemming him in the pocket, uh, getting some pressure up front directly into him. And again, that comes from, you know, the, the Chris Jones, Tershawn Wharton, Mike Pennells were talking about of just getting pressure directly in front of Tua so that he just can't get the ball, get set, and get rid of it. You know, he had somebody in his lap. Um, they did a decent amount of, of getting pressure on him that way and, and disrupting the rhythm of that offense. And uh, that that was the plan. I mean, it wasn't anything about, you know, to me, you know, trying to, to get a, a ton of pressure as far as just getting sacked on Tua. It was just about daring him to throw it, but making sure that he couldn't do it on his terms. And, and that, I think, was really effective. And looking forward, I mean, that to me is why I, I, was, I would think it would be really interesting to see the, the Chiefs in Houston next week. Uh, you need the Steelers to pull off the upset. But I, I think Steve Spagnuolo and that defense would have a lot of fun with, with C.J. Stroud and a rookie quarterback in that offense. I, I think they eat it up. Let's talk about then. Let, let's just say hypothetically speaking, the Steelers go in, they beat the Bills, and it's Chiefs Texans. Okay, um, Texans put up a forty-five spot against one of the best defenses in the NFL. The only issue is that the best defense in the NFL is only good at home, and they are not very good on the road. Well, the Browns played on the road, and they got the doors beaten off. Part of that was two back-to-back pick sixes from Joe Flacco. But I do think you're right. I think if the Chiefs played the Texans as as explosive as the Texans offense has been all season long you have a rookie quarterback and no tank Dell and I think that's the biggest issue is Steve Spagnuolo will find a way to eliminate Legereus Sneed on Nico Collins all of a sudden now you have what Noah Brown you have Robert Woods and Dalton Schultz I like the Chiefs chances there like if the Chiefs play the Texans how confident are you uh, pretty confident. I mean, I just think that's a, that's a great matchup for the Chiefs, you know, especially because, you know, of the, of the coverages that Steve Spagnuolo can throw at CJ Stroud. He's going to show him some, some things he hasn't seen before and some definitely some sophisticated, you know, coverages on the back end. Um, he's going to find that there's just not going to be the same passing lanes that, that he has had against some other teams. And, um, and Cleveland, I mean, I was really surprised the last couple of weeks, you know, the Colts and the Browns both. I mean, just, I, I think, absolutely played terrible defensive game plans against the Texans. I mean, uh, you, you can't let Stroud, you know, have the, the shots deep that they were letting him get. You can't let Nico Collins play, you know, just free reign. I mean, and you're right. I mean, the Chiefs secondary, I think, is so much better than both those defenses that, that that's not the strength of the Browns. To me, I think the strength of the Browns is definitely you know up front. That's where you know they can do the most damage. Um, but and, and again, and to your point, I mean, I don't think that the Chiefs' offense in the postseason mode that we're seeing right now aren't going to make the mistakes that the Browns' offense did to bury them in a hole that they can't get out of. Uh, I I think that it's a tremendous matchup for the Chiefs on both sides of the football. Matt Derrick is joining us from Chiefs Digest right here, Sports Radio 810 WHB. 
In regards to Steve Spagnuolo, again, just sticking with the theme here, he has been unbelievable all season long. Um, this has been his Picasso. This has been his Michelangelo. This is an absolute masterpiece of a season. He has his guys. He has the versatility, and he has just been drawing up an absolute perfect game plan seemingly every single week. I'd love to hear your, your, your thoughts more on Steve Spagnolo and... He needs to win defensive or what? What is it? Assistant coordinator, assistant coach of the year. Um, it, it, I know D'Amico Ryan's won last year, and he ended up becoming a head coach. Uh, Brian Dable won, and he ended up becoming a head coach. Um, you, you looked on the list of those assistant head coaches who have won. Um, a lot of them have become a head coach. Hopefully, Steve Spagnuolo sticks around here, but I think he is very deserving of uh, of that award. Yeah, I mean, it, you're right, and about all of it, too. I mean, this it's taken a while, but the, the Chiefs now have the, exactly the personnel that he wants across the board. Um, you know, he's got you know, flexible defensive linemen who can play multiple positions, can kick inside and out, um, a lot of long, lean guys who can clog up the passing lanes. Uh, you know, this team's been second in the league in sacks both of the last two years, and sacks are sometimes... As we've seen before, I mean, you know, they can be inconsistent. Three years ago, the Chiefs had a lot of pressures and no sacks. And the last two years, I mean, they've been very consistent. I mean, and that's something that's just rare. I mean, uh, it's, um, it feels like sacks can be a boom and bust statistic. I mean, you just, you know, you, you could be up and down one way, one season to the other. This team's been ridiculously consistent now for two seasons and being able to get after the quarterback. And, uh, it, it's because of, all the pieces they have. I mean, not only did they have what up front, what you know, Steve Spagnuolo likes, and edge rushers and pass rushers and interior guys. Um, he's got blitzers at every other position. I mean, there's there's seven other players on the field who can go after the quarterback at any given time. Uh, because I think Legarius Sneed and Trent McDuffie are among the best corner blitzers in the league. Um, their linebackers can all blitz. Leo Chanel has turned into a really good down, you know, on ball on ball defender. Uh, he was lined up as an edge rusher last night. That was uh, fantastic. Love to see that. Um, and then they've got the right mix of defensive backs and corners. I mean, a lot of a lot of flexibility once again. I mean, with you know, and and probably an unsung player in all of this. I mean, is all of their backup defensive backs. But Shamari Connor is probably a big one because he's got a, a real Kendall Fuller kind of flexibility to him. Mm. And remember when that. That 2019 Chiefs defense that really came together and played so well at the end of the season, you know, it was because they had Tyron Matthew on one side and Shamar and Kendall Fuller on the other, and they could really, you know, use those guys interchangeably. Um, it's not quite that way with Connor yet, but you know, you can put him and Justin Reed in the different side of the field, and and they can do. I mean, they can they can just you know make it very unpredictable what they're going to do defensively. So it's the it's the right mix. And they've got obviously good players at each position group. I mean, Nick Bolton is a tremendous leader of a middle linebacker. Um, you know, no no offense to to Anthony Hitchens, but you know, it, he's an he's a, he's an upgrade. Drew Tranquil is an upgrade. I mean, both those guys. It, and so, I, even though they don't, <laughs> Matt, that was the nicest I've ever heard anyone talk about this linebacker core as an upgrade. You know, no offense to those guys who were historically bad defensively, but. Uh, these guys are an upgrade. I appreciate your your, your niceness right there, Matt. <laughs> hey, I try to be fair. I try to be reasonably objective. Um, but I mean, they, it, you know, and they don't have. It's not. This is not necessarily the difference where they have Pro Bowlers at every position. 
but they got the guys they want, and they got the guys who are glue guys that you know. And, and obviously, they trust each other too, which is a big part of it. And and the, the person who has built that trust is Steve Spagnuolo. Uh, Matt Derrick is our guest right here on Sports Radio 810 WHB. I know we talked about the Texans, if they win, what that looks like. Let's talk about the Bills. If the Bills win, they beat the Steelers on Monday. Chiefs heading up there uh, to Buffalo, to Orchard Park, to Highmark Stadium, and what's probably going to be another poor weather game. I think that benefits Kansas City. Like, I, I think bad weather is better for the Chiefs than it is for the Bills. Better for Kansas City than a team that resides in Buffalo. I think Mahomes, I trust way more in a bad weather game than I do Josh Allen. And then not only that, I I think the Buffalo Bills playing on Monday night with the Chiefs getting two extra days of rest is absolutely massive. What are your thoughts here? Yeah, I mean, I I think the two days of rest is going to be huge, no matter what. And you know, whether and I'm assuming that this game's going to you know be on if they play Buffalo, either either team they play is going to be on. I think Sunday, uh, at least if it's if it's Buffalo for sure. They can't play Pittsburgh. Let me get that in my head straight. Um, because if they do, so I mean, at least the Bills would have you know six days, but Chiefs would have eight. And we saw, you know, this last stretch of the season where the Chiefs historically had this run where they had less rest than their opponents in the, the, what, last seven games of the season than, like, any team over a seven-game stretch in NFL history. Rest helps. It matters. It definitely matters in the postseason. Then you add in that, you know, Buffalo is just not quite themselves with the injuries that they've had, Uh, the the kind of – Effects that they've gotten from from Josh Allen getting a new offensive coordinator seems to have worn off a little bit. We're still, you know, still getting Sean McDermott talking about fixing Josh Allen, and we knew how to fix him; it would be done. <laughs> uh, I mean, the Bills are on a perfect team, and we saw. I mean, the, these two teams played to a standstill at Arrowhead a few weeks ago, and it was literally a penalty that decided the game. Yeah. So I, I I feel like these two teams are fairly evenly matched, but. I would favor in the playoffs and the experience. I'd favor the Chiefs in a matchup like that. How how much are we being swayed by one game? Because because I'm sitting here going as the Chiefs headed into the playoffs, it felt like expectations were down, right? I mean, if we're being completely honest here, before the Chiefs just dismantled the Dolphins. It felt like we're sitting here going, yeah, this probably isn't the Chiefs' year. They're they're not playing great football. There's all these issues. Um, you know, why would we all of a, uh, all of a sudden expect them to get right and make a run? And yet, after this one game, I'm, I'm in the same boat as you, though. I'm sitting here going, they play the Texans. I like the Chiefs. They play the Bills. Even in Buffalo, I I, I like the Chiefs. I'm sitting here going. What is this I'm feeling? Is, is am I being swayed too much by one game, or is this always the way? And we were almost too pessimistic because we were comparing them to previous iterations of the Chiefs. Yeah, I mean, I think this is different team. I mean, and and we are definitely, I think, all been comparing them to the the, the previous iterations of this team because, and like I, we were talking about earlier, I mean, those previous versions had uh, the ability to, to really turn things on in December and shut things down. And this group didn't. I mean, they lost three games in December. That's unheard of for the the Chiefs and, and Patrick Mahomes. Uh, but then you know, look at it the other way. This is a team that what that, that struggled, but they've also won three in a row. They've won four of their last five. 
uh, I mean, you you can start looking at this and saying this is no longer a team that's slumping. This is a team that's starting to put it together and winning at the right time. And and even then, I mean, you look at those losses down the stretch. I mean, a, a penalty probably decided the, the game against the Eagles. Um, they did not play well against the Packers, but they also didn't get some calls in that one. But I'm not going to blame that one on the on the calls. I mean, they, the Packers beat them that night. A penalty decided the game against Buffalo. Um, I think the, the the real turnaround though was probably that Christmas Day loss to the Raiders because mm. that seemed to be the wake up call that this team needed. Because uh, you know, obviously, if they won that one, and now we're talking about a team that's won five in a row, I don't think we'd anybody be you know disputing the fact that the Chiefs are probably the Super Bowl favorite. Mm. But that loss to the Raiders, I mean, really ticked this team off. And so then you saw them come out and, you know, and a team against like the Bengals that they have played so close over the years. And they, yeah, I get no Joe Burrow and everything, but that was not a close game. I mean, it was not as close as the final score indicated. I mean, that was the, the Chiefs, you know, really controlled that game from beginning to end. And even though the starters didn't play against Chargers, I'm counting that as, as, as a part of the streak because that was an emotional win. I mean, you know, Chris Jones getting his sack. I mean, that team was invested in that game, and I, I think it was a big deal because the way that for them to be able to finish the season that way and get themselves to a good mood. So to me, I mean, it, it's a, hey, end points matter, and I get it. I mean, you know, you can still look at this and say, okay, well, this is a team that's now still, even with the Dolphins win five and four in the last nine games, but I I think more recent results matter, and the way that they lost some of those games matter. I, maybe we've just, just, we have judged this team too harshly based on its worst moments because I think we saw its best moments last night and best moments are pretty good still. Yeah, still uh, pretty darn good still. Matt Derrick of Chiefs Digest. Make sure you check him out. Follow him on Twitter at Matt Derrick. Make sure you also check out the 41 is the Mike podcast as well. Final very quick question here, Matt. Um, I saw a couple of shirtless dudes at the game last night. We, we've been asking folk, how much would it cost? How much would someone have to pay you to pop the top off of the convertible in that weather last night? Um, I mean, for how long? That's a question. Someone yesterday, or someone called in and said they would do it for a beer, which I thought was pretty astounding. Um, Kyle, producer Kyle, said he would uh, do it for a half for 10K, and I thought that that's just absurd. I said, I'll, I'll give him money at that point. A half, he's dying. Uh, I don't want, I need my producer out here. Um, let's just say for like five minutes. Who for five minutes? Gosh. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I, I think it would have to be a, a substantial amount because uh, I, I was, I was bundled up going to my car last night. And I was just miserable walking into that wind. The wind was the worst part of it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, five minutes. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about the risk of my health here, Sterling. Oh, I know. I mean, I don't. I, I think I need at least ten grand. Yeah. I mean, it might be more. It might be more, and I might not make it five minutes. I mean. I'm pr- I'm fairly certain I wouldn't make it five minutes. Oh, oh, Matt, you've seen me. I'm not going five minutes. If someone told me you took my coat off for 10k for five minutes, I'm I'm considering saying no. Like, let alone going tarps off. I I, I don't think I could do it, man. Um, those people are a different breed. Here's to you. Hopefully, how do you think they're feeling this morning? That's my main question. Is those people who took the shirts off last night at the game? I'm sitting here going, wow, that uh, that can't be a fun Sunday. 
Well, it depends on how they, they treat it. Did they, did they get a little bit of the hair of the dog? Because I, I have no doubt that there was some liquid courage involved in, in getting in that condition in the first place. You know what? That's the one time I actually hope liquid courage was involved. Because if, if there was not, I have even more questions. Uh, Matt Derrick of Chiefs Digest. Matt, always a pleasure. Always a pleasure, Sterling. Take care, my friend. Uh, we'll take a break. Come back. Sports Radio 810 WHB. Shout out to uh, Jeff on uh, the X. Says uh, Homestretch KC, you wouldn't do it for a trillion dollars? Yeah, for a trillion? For a trillion? Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm taking the the shirt off. Okay, he called he called my bluff. Yeah, a trillion. I'm I'm, I'm doing that. Sorry, I'll risk a finger for a trillion dollars. I'm all right with walking around with nine, nine digits, yeah. nine nine digits. You're like, which one? Which of the which one you you leaving? Uh, left pinky. You can take that one. Yeah, I think you're right, but that's like the the least worthy. I don't think that's even going to count. Like, if someone's giving you a trillion, you got to you got to go a little little more important there. At least thumb, mm. four finger. I man, I don't, want, yeah, I don't want anybody taking my thumb. That's all right. too important to me. Uh, let's talk about the uh, upcoming games. Uh, today at 3.30, Packers, Cowboys. Man, the Mike McCarthy game, huh? Mike McCarthy revenge game. What you looking at in this one here? Well, you've got the Cowboys at home, and we, we know how that has treated them. It's treated them very well, averaging nearly almost 40 points a game. Yeah. Jordan Love, he's had a nice season as his first year as the full-time starter in Green Bay. But they're the seventh seed for a reason. They're they're really not an explosive offense. They're really not a shutdown defense. And the way Dak and C.D. Lamb have been connecting over over really the, the entire regular season, I think the offense of, of Dallas just has way too much power and speed for, for Green Bay. I, I think the Cowboys should win this easily. Yeah, the Cowboys are 8-0 and at home. They have yet to lose. They are 4-5 and on the road. So for them, uh, clinching that NFC East title was massive for them. Again, of course, getting home field advantage, the two seed right there. Um, I, I'm with you, but I, I think I take the Packers with the points. I think 7.5 is a little much. Jordan, it's going to come down to Jordan Love, obviously, which I know is a very lazy take, but I'm not trying to be lazy with this. I'm saying it comes down to him as far as you can't throw a pick six. This Cowboys defense, they are very opportunistic. This Cowboys defense, you look at some of the numbers and you're like, oh, they must be a really good defense overall. Well, they're good because they force a lot of turnovers. They're not traditionally good by a lot of metrics, right? So if you take care of the football, you can move the ball against this Cowboys D. The issue is you can't make any risky throws, which Jordan Love at times is apt to do. So if Jordan Love throws a pick six, this is going to be a 21-plus point win for the Cowboys. But if Jordan Love takes care of the ball, doesn't get greedy, and moves the ball methodically down the field, I think they have a decent shot of coming away with a victory. But again, it's going to come down to can a guy who is not a rookie, but this is his... Um, first year starting, can he play like a 15-year-old Wiley veteran? 
Because to me, that's what it comes down to. Again, I do think you can move the ball against the Cowboys' D. The issue is you can't turn the ball over because they will make you pay. And you're right, Dak Prescott in this offense, they are running and, and humming at a very high level right now. His connection with CeeDee Lamb it has been next level. And the Packers' secondary has not been great. Um, obviously, they've played actually pretty well after they've suffered a ton of injuries and losing Razul Douglas. It almost feels like they've gelled a little bit together. But they also got Brandon Cooks. And Brandon Cooks and his speed and his uh, perpetual ability to make an impact one or two a game alongside CeeDee Lamb is going to be hard. So I do have the Cowboys winning this game, but I guess I'm going to go with Jordan Love being a little smarter in this game and only losing by seven. So I would take the the Packers with the points. Uh, fun facts, too. The Packers are undefeated at AT&T Stadium. Mm, how many times? 5-0. and Wow, I, that's, that's decent, right? That's not like two. 4-0 in the playoffs. Wow. I, I will say there could not be more or less pressure on these teams. The Packers are somewhat like the Texans, right? This was supposed to be a rebuilding year. They snuck into the playoffs. You look at their wide receivers. They're so young. You look at your quarterback. You're trying to figure out if he was the guy going forward or not, and I think the Packers have found Jordan Love is the guy. So that's great news, right? Yeah. yeah. But they were rebuilding this defense. Like there, There's still a lot of room left to be done, a lot of moves left to be made. So the Packers right now are sitting here going, all right, let's have some fun. Let, let's play loose. right? No one's going to be mad if they go on the road and lose to the, the 12-5 and Cowboys who are 8-0 at home. I don't think Packers fans would be mad at that at all. They made the playoffs. First year under a um, youngish quarterback in Jordan Love. And then the Cowboys, on the other hand, who has more pressure than them? I mean, seriously, like, if Mike McCarthy loses first round, if Dak Prescott loses, is, is McCarthy getting canned? Yeah, you could be looking at a shakeup for sure. I mean, if if Dak Prescott all of a sudden, after the great season he's had, and Dak Prescott's had a, a great season, they get bounced first round. Those conversations get even larger and larger of, okay, yeah, it's great. He gets a lot of these empty calories, but when it comes down to actual coming through in the in the clutch, it's not there. I mean, I think the Cowboys have the most pressure of any team in the playoffs. Yeah, I think you may be right because uh, up to this date, I think this is Dak Prescott's best career year. Oh I yeah, mean, he was in he was in MVP talks for a while. So yeah, uh, there's absolutely a lot of pressure on Dallas to at least at least get to the NFC Championship game. I I would think. Yeah, if not Super Bowl, they are the two seed. So and again, like the Chiefs, they, they just won a Super Bowl. I mean, San Fran maybe, but it, but again, it just feels like to me. There's no shakeup even if San Fran loses. There's no shakeup if the Ravens lose. The Eagles were just just in the Super Bowl last year and they took a step back, but to me if it comes to actual pressure on a team, on a coach, on an organization, it has to be Dallas. So I wonder if that makes them play tight. If they play tight, that game at 3:30 is going to be fascinating to watch. Night game tonight 7 p.m. Rams Lions. You think Lions fans are excited to uh, have a home game in the playoffs? Absolutely. Have you seen ticket prices? No. Absurd. The lowest price is 336 bucks. <laughs> oh, 
what, what what do you think the lowest ticket was you could get at uh, Arrowhead last night? Obviously the cold, so we're not saying anything there. But, again, the Chiefs have had a lot of playoff games. They've had a lot of success recently. Uh-huh. They host a ton of playoff games. Um, and, of course, the cold makes a difference. Then you go up to Detroit. They're inside. They're they got a fan base who's starved for success. And it's been 30 years. And you look at 336 bucks for the lowest ticket. I mean, again, the Buccaneers, that's Tampa, 85 bucks. Bills, 83 um, Cowboys, 51 in Jerry World. Then you look at the Lions, 336 I'm, I'm happy for Lions fans, man. I'm really happy for Lions fans. They, they've, they've gone through uh, the ringer, man. And this is fun. This is the Jared Goff-Matt Stafford game. Matt Stafford returning to Detroit. Now, he made the right decision. He won a Super Bowl. But when you look at the Lions, can't you say the Lions made the right decision trading Matt Stafford? They're back in the playoffs now, finally. Um, Jared Goff's playing his best football. I mean, Jared Goff's played really good football. Those picks allowed them to get Jamison Williams, Jameer Gibbs, and I want to say, was it Brian Branch? Um, I think so, no, Sam right. Laporta. It was Sam Laporta, Jameer Gibbs, and um, Jamison Williams. There was two or three other guys as well that, that, that came uh, later round picks. But again, they got a haul back, and they're playing, quite frankly, as good as ever when Matt Stafford was here, or was there in Detroit. So I'm sitting here going, this was a win for both teams. Again, the Super Bowl you, you'll always take. I think the Lions win this game. I know a lot of folks have this as a popular upset pick. Okay, A lot of folks, I talk to a lot of pretty savvy bettors. A lot of them are taking the Rams because they're taking the offensive upside, right? You know, the Rams are 10-7, and seven, but they had injuries to Cooper Cup. Uh, they've had injuries to Matt Stafford. Well, they're a little healthier right now, right? Matt Stafford has been playing. Um, he might be the most underrated quarterback this season in the NFL. But the Rams' defense is not good. The Lions' defense is not good. The over-under in this game is 52.5, and and that might explode on the over right there. Um, But I'm going with the Lions. I think the home field advantage, Jared Goff has been to a Super Bowl. Didn't play great, but he has been to one, right? Give Give me the Lions at home. You're absolutely right about this being a popular upset pick. People are, yeah, the NFL script writers are doing their job, right? With uh, Stafford coming home to Detroit. But, yeah, I, I don't trust the Rams' defense at all. And, frankly, I don't really trust their offense that all that much. Cooper Cup, he's been basically playing injured all year. I know Puka Nakua has just been a godsend for them. And Kyron Williams in a sophomore season has been a monster out of the, out of the backfield. But I, I look at the Lions' offense. I, I think there's too much firepower. Firepower there with uh, St. Brown and yeah. uh, Laporta. It is confirmed he will be uh, giving it a go. Wow, he'll, he'll be wearing a knee brace. Yeah, that is crazy. And it just I think there's too much offensive firepower now to to the Lions. Like you better go prove it now. You got to prove it. You haven't been here in 30 years. Go prove you're the what are they the two seed three seed? Yeah, three three. Yeah, I mean go win your first game, first playoff game, and 
three decades. I'll also say the defensive side of the ball, very similar, right? They, they're both susceptible to cornerback play, getting beat over the top, but they both have one game changer. One is Aiden Hutchinson, and the other is Aaron Donald. The, the difference is I trust the Lions' offensive line more than I trust the Rams. Yeah. I think the uh, Detroit offensive line is top three in football in run blocking and pass blocking. That, to me, will be the difference. Uh, let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll finish up with the Monday night slate of games. Again, outstanding as a Chiefs fan. We get to sit back and watch football. Just stress-free. It's going to be a great Sunday and Monday. We'll take a break. Come back. Sports Radio 810. Welcome again to Sports Radio 810 WHB. Again, Strowing Holmes with you. Almost out of here. Two more games to touch on before we get out. Uh, Steelers, Bills, 3.30, the game that was supposed to be today at noon. Obviously moved back a day to tomorrow at 3.30. Buffalo 10-point favorites at home. Over under 3.5. The Bills, they earned the two-seed right by their incredible Incredible end of the season. I, I got to give credit where credit's due, right? I mean, they had a brutal stretch. They got it done. They earned it. But they play a team in the Steelers who are really bad, man. I mean, they're bad. Mike Tomlin deserves so much credit. That that team, though, is atrocious. If the Bills lose to the Steelers, McDermott's got to be gone. They went all in. And this is what I always find interesting. The Bills went all in. They have not won a They haven't gone to a Super Bowl, yet, let alone win one. But they went all in. Von Miller, Micah Hyde, and Jordan Poyer in their 30s. Tredavious White has been injured, but he's getting paid a lot of money. Uh, he's not quite 30 yet, but he he's looks like one at this moment. Matt Milano is now injured. He's been out for the majority of the season. Um, you're just sitting here looking at that team. They're aging. They're older. Stephon Diggs perpetually seems to have a little unrest. Uh, Josh Allen's contract kicking in, and oh yeah, Gabe Davis, Dalton Knox, what happens there contract-wise? You're sitting there going, is that window closing on the Bills? And they haven't won. There's a lot of pressure on the Bills. Kind of the same thing for the Bengals as far as Okay, T. Higgins is free agent. You already had to get rid of Jesse Bates and Von Bell, and that was a massive step back defensively, right? You know, the Chiefs are in the situation where they have not only won multiple Super Bowls, they've done it different ways. One with Mahomes on a rookie contract with Tyreek, one without Tyreek with Mahomes getting paid what he's getting paid. I think it's very, very impressive. I'm going Bills, though. I think they get it done at home, and I think they cover. But what I think happens, Chiefs head up there to Orchard Park, and they take care of business, officially putting the end to this Buffalo Bills. What would you call it? This iteration of them? The Diggs Allen era. The Diggs Allen like like I, I do wonder if the Chiefs go up to Orchard Park yet again not yet again because they but if they beat the Bills again in the playoffs, man, I, I think you're gonna see a huge shakeup in Buffalo. And then finally the Eagles Bucks game Monday night. Uh also a popular upset game. I think the Eagles get right though. I think the Eagles are too talented. Even without A.J. Brown, they're too talented. They get it done. Uh, I am Sterling Holmes. You can follow me on Twitter at HomestretchKC. Until next time, we are out.